this is uh, this is great. You and me without Dustin. I know. Can we can we can we talk disparagingly <laughs> about him for two hours? I'm sure. I don't know what we would say. What sorts of things do you think we could say? Well, I mean, I'm going to have to grade everything as like a quarter, like five and a quarter, two and three quarters. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, no whole numbers at all. Okay. Um, and we're allowed to get off on tangents if we want to, because he's I, not here to stop us. Yeah. And we can talk about people that aren't named Batman. It's just true. Without drawing his ire, you can bring up Marvel without anything <laughs> getting broken in the background, you know? <laughs> yeah, I can do basically whatever I want. <laughs> yeah, this is your show. You can do anything you want. Yeah, but I, I'm the one who gets to normally, you know, be afraid of Dustin. Yeah. But uh, no, this is good. This is cool. So do I have to declare an allegiance for like... Team Donovan or Team Shag, since I'm on your show. Uh, that is up to you. Um, yeah. I, I I guess we, we should have we should make T-shirts, you know, and Brad oh, Pitt had so. broken up, and some people wore the Team Jennifer, and some people wore uh, Team Angelina. Uh, so I guess yeah, here and now, where does your allegiance lie? Well, it's Team Donovan. Okay, can you explain your reason? Uh, I know Donovan a lot better. No, um, I, I think I just think that you know Donovan. I like the long-term people. He's been around a lot longer. Um, so I think my, my loyalty goes back to the guy that's, that's been there for a lot longer. Okay. So that's, that that's, seems... that's, I'm, I'm casting my vote. So. <laughs> oh, seems legit. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition. No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. <laughs> It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls.
Sawate, I'm your host, Stella, and this is Back of the Oracle, the Barbara Burnham Podcast, episode 118 for May MMXDI. Backroll to Oracle is brought to you by the Task Force X podcast. A secret governmental organization operating behind the scenes. Task Force X. Task Force X is an off-the-books government strike team made up of convicts with no hope for release, serving as expendable agents for impossible missions. Succeed! And I'll shave time off your sentences. If we don't. You'll be dead. Any other stupid questions? The Suicide Squad, ran by Amanda Waller. I'm Amanda Waller. I'm here to indoctrinate you convicts into our special forces. And there's Checkmate, ran by Harry Stein. This is the tales of DC Comics, Suicide Squad, and Checkmate. Mostly monthly from Headspeaks. Available on iTunes under Task Force X and under Headcasts over at headspeaks.com. We can also be found on Facebook and Google Plus under Task Force X. Task Force X. Check it out. Or you'll answer to the wall. Nobody screws the wall! Backroll the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Backroll the Oracle is a proud member of the Batman Universe family of podcasts, hashtag TBU family. And if you're wondering about a way to get into the TBU family, there's no better way than paying us money. And I say this as a joke, but the real thing is that we need your help. Uh, We need your support for the Batman Universe because... All the wonderful podcasts that are up there are so popular that the server demands have gone up and the prices have been raised. And Dustin, our illustrious editor, has been paying for everything out of his own pocket, but now it's just too much. So if you go on the BatmanUniverse.net, there's a place where you can actually uh, donate some money to help us keep it going and keep the lights on and keep these wonderful creative podcast going so please do support tbu and by supporting tbu you are in fact supporting backroll the oracle since i'm on the server as well well i am super excited to welcome back someone who was on a show a round table for backroll way back when mm-hmm. and he also popped up on the killing joke colin show and i would like to say that i am the reason why he's currently on the batman universe comic podcast because when dustin was looking for someone i said hey this person's really good he's really insightful so it's actually me yes uh, true. <laughs> it really fact. was true fact um, yeah but but this is his first time on like a regular episode and there's a particular book that came on i thought this would be perfect so without further ado i'd like to present to you my co-host on the batman universe ed hi everybody <laughs> you're probably not used to hearing me over here on the the lighter side, but Stella asked me to join, and she picked out a story that is something I really enjoy, so I'm happy to be here. 
I just want to ask you, have you seen Civil War? Yes. Okay, so what are your thoughts about Civil War? <laughs> We're going to throw all these taboo things out here that Dustin doesn't like right now. So what did you think about Civil War? Yeah, well, before I guess that we can talk about Marvel, and there's nothing going to break in the background or, nope. or any heavy sighing or the things <laughs> that you'll have to – he cuts out when he Editing, screams yep. at us yeah, yep. um, or just takes it out completely. Um, yeah, so I saw it, and I liked it. But I, I, it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, now, remember, my life in Marvel is strictly from the movies, mm-hmm. right? Like, I've da- like I read the um, Jessica Jones stuff after her series because I really liked yeah. it. Yep. And I've read a thing here or there, but it's by no means like I keep up with, like, DC stuff. So my whole world is just the movies. And I really was looking forward to this movie a lot, and I think I just overhyped myself for it. It was good. Like, it was really good. It wasn't like I was angry or, you know, didn't like it. But I think that we'd had such a run with, like, Force Awakens was so good in December. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked Batman versus Superman. And this one just felt – it was good. It was as good as, like, Avengers Age of Ultron, which I liked too. But it wasn't, to me, like, uh, The Winter Soldier. Like, I mm-hmm. thought The Winter Soldier was, like, one of my favorite comic book movies mm-hmm. ever. Um, I, I didn't feel like it was as good as The Winter Soldier, which is maybe why I – didn't like it as much because it, it probably had a lot to live up to, but it was fun and it was good. And again, with someone with no Marvel back history, I don't know if it's representative of the comic or what actually, I know that some people, and you probably know this still, said like Captain America died in like Civil War. Yeah, comic. he did. He had the very end. So I know that didn't happen. I, I don't, mm-hmm. I think that was probably a good idea in movies. You can't kill off one of your biggest stars probably, you know? Yeah. Um, but I liked it. What about you? What'd you think of it? I really enjoyed it as well. I will agree with you because I've heard a lot of people saying, like, this is the best Marvel film that has come out right now, you know, under the Marvel title. Mm. And I honestly think that I I really enjoyed it, but I think Winter Soldier is still number one for me. I just really loved sort of the emotion that that was in that particular story and the action and everything. And I think Captain America is my favorite Marvel superhero on film that we have going. So there's a lot of expectations going into it. And the only downside, or one of the downsides, I guess, to this film is that it really wasn't a Captain America film. It was more of like an Avengers 2.5 film. Oh, <laughs> it really was. Yeah. You know, there were so many people. And I remember getting all those news reports like, and this person's in it, and this person's in it. And I thought, oh, this is really concerning. Because there was, I wanted more of that emotion, you know, and, and the interactions between Winter Soldier, you know, Bucky and, yeah. and Steve and, and Falcon, and then building Sharon Carter up. You know, and, and I wasn't like, disappointed in that because they had that but then there was also a lot of other stuff that was going on but i i did really like it i want to see it again to sort of solidify my feelings but i'm i'm right there with you that i think winter soldier is is my favorite i like i think captain america is my favorite one too out of the avengers mm-hmm. uh, the only movie that i would say is on par with winter soldier out of the marvel verse and it's totally different is guardians of the galaxy mm, like, right right that that movie's just like you'd have to not have a pulse not to enjoy that movie. <laughs> like seriously, like that is like that's just. I actually had my I took long story made short. My in laws ended going to see it like the third time with me and my daughter. Right? Mm-hmm. They don't like anything, and they liked it. You know, so I like Guardians, but yeah, I think this did feel like it was like an Avengers movie, and it felt a lot of times like there was a big checklist of we have to do this, 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 this. That you know, and mm-hmm. we're gonna have this guy fight this guy. Now the two things I did really like about it is I thought the guy that played Black Panther, he was great. That was absolutely, I could have done, if you had cut out like all the other stuff and like Ant-Man being giant, it's cool. Spoilers. 
you know. Um, yeah. It's cool, but I, I think if you cut that out and gave me more Black Panther, I would have been okay with it. And mm-hmm. I know you like Spider-Man. What did you think of the new Spider-Man guy in the movie? I'm actually a little cold on the Spider-Man. And I think I'm the only one in the world, actually. No, you're not. I'm not. I am. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to have found you. Uh, it just pulled me out of the film. Like, it, really it, did, it felt it? like a completely different, you know, we've got this. And I'm a little sad that he's relying on Tony for his stuff when one of the great things about the character is that, you know, he makes his own. Like, he, his, you know, his web shooters, he makes those. But why does he need everything else, you know, from Tony and, and, and sort of the mentor role? But, yeah, I and, and I understand that probably part of it is the fact that I really liked Andrew Garfield. I really liked Toby. So having another person in is sort of like hard, but I just felt like when, whenever he was on screen, I was really taken out of like the rest of the film. So I'm against him. So that's another reason why I want to see it again mm-hmm. to see like, will I have better feelings about him the second time around? It did feel out of place because, and I get that the character of Spider-Man is supposed to be more, I don't know comical is the right word, but more lighthearted. Right. right? Mm-hmm. But it didn't seem to fit with the tone of the movie. I mean, we go from this like super serious, the government was going to, you know, we're going to have these guys fight this this right. big idea of, of regulation and who should control certain power, which is, which was kind of like the backbone of the Winter Soldier in a way, which was, which was a very serious movie, mm-hmm. right? And then you kind of start playing with those concepts, which were, which, which were cool. But then all of a sudden Spider-Man's there and it's, he's making a joke every minute. And I think that works great in a Spider-Man movie, right. you know? Yeah. But it, in this movie, it just felt kind of... Like super out of place mm-hmm. um, um, for me, and and then the, like the rush introduction, like but we don't need, we don't need any more origin stories. Like I'm I'm good with that, but kind of yeah. like hey, it's Spider Man. Here's his aunt who's like 45 and Tony <laughs> has a crush on, and yeah. like like okay, we're gone, you know. Yeah. Uh, which means either Uncle Ben was dating someone a lot younger than him, mm-hmm. or he's not that old in, in this new reader. I don't know. Yeah. So I agree. We we we'll probably get. Send your hate mail to, you know, the Batman universe at <laughs> yeah, you know, sure. podcast yeah. at the Batman universe. But, um, mm. yeah, I mean, I, I kind of felt this. And I don't even know if I can say the guy was the actor that played him was bad. Mm-hmm. It just felt like I was like, what is it? This doesn't make. Give me more Black Panther instead of, yeah, you know, like right. he fits more in the movie. So, yeah. And I'll agree with you on the humor. I think there are times that I get annoyed at Tony Stark's humor. Like, I thought there was too much of it in Iron Man 3. But this, I felt like there was a good level with it. Like, he had, it was sort of sardonic and really biting sometimes. And other times, it was just like, it cut the tension. I thought it was leveled out uh, well. But it was just, yeah, Spider-Man, I thought it was like, ugh, what's going on? So, yeah. Well, especially in that big fight scene, you have Spider-Man doing the comedy bits. Right. And then you have Ant-Man Paul Rudd, who I, I love, I love the Ant Man movie. Mm-hmm. I actually like him. Mm-hmm. But you have so you essentially have two comedians in the middle of this fight. I just think it was too much. Yeah, yeah, too much, too much. It returns. So tell me about Batman versus Superman because I actually didn't care for it as much. I thought it was okay. But what what you said, you really liked it. So tell me uh, what you like about it and and what you thought about it. So I, I like the movie a lot. My, I'll be the first one to line up and say, is the movie flawed? Yeah, yeah, it's flawed. Right. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's flaws to it. Um, I like the idea of the older Batman in it. I think that it's almost the only way for it to work mm-hmm. in, this, in this universe. Um, I like the fact that we'll get to go back and explore his backstory. But other than that, like, like I just felt like it was kind of like a, such a radical departure from the, even the way it looked that I felt like DC was at least establishing their own universe without copycatting Marvel, mm-hmm. you know? 
I would hate to have been this had this been Avengers 2.0 or you know where it was yep. super similar in tone. Was some of the violence a little too much? Like the, I didn't have a problem with him killing people, which I would have. Which is funny. I would have a huge problem in a comic book if if we were doing Snyder's book next month and he was offing people left and right. Yeah, I would be like whoa 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 whoa. You know, I mean, <laughs> if you can't do that, you know. But for some reason, the movies like even go back to the Keaton movies. Keaton kills a ton of people. Mm. Like. He sets a guy on fire with the flames from the car at one point. He blows up a factory with a bunch of bad guys in it, you know? Like, I think the movie universe has always got a pass for me on the Batman killing thing. When you start using rockets and planes and jets, like, there's almost no way to avoid fatalities. Right. So that kind of got a pass for me. Um, I love the introduction of Wonder Woman in it. I thought that it started building a real universe that was very coherent. And, and I guess I didn't understand some of the criticisms, especially about... Lex Luthor's kind of zany plan because mm-hmm. to me it felt it felt like and I could be wrong I was in the writer's room they should have asked me but they didn't I didn't feel like it was this like madcap plan I felt like that the whole thing was him working for Steppenwolf or Darkseid you know mm-hmm. uh, and that it, it was he was doing stuff for them the entire time so I thought it was solid setting up like a bigger villain uh, over Lex Luthor and I, I just liked the overall movie I liked I liked the tone of it the only genuine problem I had with it was I didn't like him branding people I thought that was like you know, like, yeah, everyone keeps saying like, oh, this seems like the Dark Knight, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem too much to me like the Dark Knight, except he's older, I think. But I think it's it's the reiteration of more of like Grant Morrison's era, which was a lot more violent, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and things like that. So to me, it felt like a comic book movie and it felt unique. And I think that was one of my biggest fears going into it, that it wouldn't be unique. Um, there's some of it, which is, like I said, there's parts where you're like, you know, but I liked it. Now I'm going to be curious to see what is it? The three hour Blu-ray version. Right. Yep. Holy smokes. Like the director's cut. Yeah. Now they're putting the Jenna Malone character back in that. Mm hmm. You think that she is going to be playing Oracle? Some form of, yeah. Like the rumor is that there'd be a lot of, uh, flashbacks with her in it. They're not going to go killing joke on it, are they? I don't know. That was sort of the rumor, but I, I would like to see that three-hour version. I'd like to see what they add in there. Now, you said you didn't like the movie. I, I Yeah, I thought it was okay. Okay. What I did, thought it was – I just thought it was scattered. Like I thought for the majority of time of the film, I was watching two different movies, and then once oh, yeah. Lois Lane got dropped off the building, like then all of a sudden we saw Unity, and I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Wonder Woman, I loved Wonder Woman. I really liked Man of Steel, so I think that was my, you know, oh, going thank into you. it. Yeah, so I think going into it, I was like getting ready for a Superman sequel, and that's not necessarily what I got. Um, no, and I wonder too. Like, I was, I, we're we're really on the same page on movies, apparently, most for the most part, because <laughs> I I like Man of Steel a lot. Like, yeah. that's one movie that I watched it. I don't know, probably a week before Batman versus Superman at home, right, mm-hmm. with my wife, and I'm like, why does everyone hate this movie? Yeah, like like it's. Not, it's not even not bad. It's good. Yeah. You know, um, the reality is like I get the Donner films and the, you know, I understand that people have a soft spot for what we saw when we were young. We all do. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's part of life. But if you took that kind of Donner film approach to it in today's modern era, and I know no one wants to hear that, it wouldn't work. Like it would not be interesting. You know, um, I liked Man of Steel a lot. I, I was I was upset that we didn't get to see the return of Fiora in this one because mm-hmm. she was like the coolest right you know? mm-hmm. and i do hope at some point we get a, a a man of steel 2 or whatever they want to call it where it's a superman only story yes you know mm-hmm. uh, um i do think I, I hope i don't know if we will 
because uh, they have movies planned through whatever, 2037 or the end of my lifetime, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't see one on the schedule. But I really wish we had got a Man of Steel 2. But I, your your criticisms, I mean, it's, it's definitely valid. There is almost so much going on that there's points you feel like they, he had to do certain things, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I did like the, the Flash, fla- the, what is it, the Flash Flash back or the Flash thing in the movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. I thought that's kind of set up like the future. Very, very cool. And I like the fact that, that Bruce is having these, you know, they're not, he's not dreaming. He's having these like precog of, of the future that the flash is bringing back to him, mm-hmm. um, which is funny. Cause I, I didn't know, I thought that was a theory and I saw something online from the, 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 the director of the, 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 the special effects director. Right. Mm-hmm. And he talks about every time Bruce would be in the future and he would remember like the gun toting and there's the apocalypse symbol and the parody right. show up and all that. Yep. He said, you, you, they're never supposed to be dreams. He said, that's why, and I noticed this the second time when I went back and watched it in, in the movie theater, every time Bruce wakes up from one of those dreams, right, like you'll see like papers jumping up in the background or wind or, you know, mm-hmm. and it's supposed to be signifying that they aren't dreams, that they're actually him kind of, and then Flash is tied into that, and which kind of makes it feel like we're building a mystery, which I would imagine in Justice League 1 or 2, we'll actually see the Flash go back in time and warn Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I don't know, I like flawed yeah but i think there was enough of it that i kind of grasped onto that i really enjoyed it and my daughter loved it so, wow that's great yeah she so were like well i mean this has been a good time to have a daughter who's in her early teens now mm-hmm. right you have characters like ray and star wars mm-hmm. you know you have wonder woman and batman versus superman even to some extent in the marvel movies you have black widow right and scarlet witch you know and it's good to have these like positive female characters in the movie. Um, so yeah, I mean that was a good part as a father, kind of off off the script. But I did like the movie overall. Yeah, that's great. I recently found out about you that you are a fan of some Naughty Dog games. Oh yeah. So because I knew you played Batman, uh, but I guess I didn't really, you know ask you or ever connect that you are also a fan and naughty dog for people who are not in the know is uh, a playstation company and their first game was crash bandicoot they don't know they no longer own that but they did jack and daxter and they've done uncharted and last of us so do you have did you get uncharted 4 i did Okay. Uh, you actually are the only thing standing between me and playing the game right now. And you are standing between me, too, so... Yeah, so we're equal. Yeah, I ended up... I, I did it. I, I went out and got a PS4, and I got the uh, limited edition one, so I could... Oh, did you? The I David got the Drake bundle. One? Yeah, it's very beautiful. So it's all installed and everything, but I've just not had time to actually play the game, but I hope to... You know, do all that. But yeah, tell me about, do you love it as much as I do? Uncharted, just like the oh, series as a whole? They're they're great. If you just got a four, right? Yep. Get, get the, did, you, did it come with the remastered Uncharted games or just Uncharted 4? Just Uncharted 4. Okay, they, so they had the Nathan Drake collection come out, I don't know, like three right. or four months ago, which uh-huh. was all of them remastered for PlayStation mm-hmm. 4. They look, like they always look good, but they look even better. They look okay, absolutely beautiful. I, I love the Uncharted games. I love The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. They just make really good games that are not just fun to play, but they're fun to watch as right. far as like is the story that goes mm-hmm. along with it. Mm-hmm. I, I almost can't believe in this zombie culture of The Walking Dead that The Last of Us isn't like a movie or something, right? Like, yeah. how hasn't that happened yet? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, um, I, loved, I love the games. Um, I played Uncharted 1 and 2 on 3 and then got, I think it was 3 on 4, and then the new one, which I haven't played yet. I did it. I did the thing where I got it and I stuck it in the PlayStation. Actually, this morning, 
before I left for work because you know it's got to download an update and right yeah so like two hours before you actually play the game so I got it all set up to play um, but yeah I I love those games I think that the Uncharted games to me are like when I was younger and like the first PlayStation came out like I played all the Tomb Raider games okay you know um, and so these games are kind of like grown up Tomb Raiders in a way you know like it's mm-hmm. it's that same level of excitement for the games um, especially since Tomb Raider now we have to wait two years on PlayStation to get it. Because um, Xbox has like the first two year exclusive for the Tomb Raider games, mm-hmm. um, but have you? So I take it you. I saw you had finally got through The Last of Us. I did, yeah. So I had bought it when it had come out because I just trust Naughty Dog uh, without yeah. any doubt. And so if I see Naughty Dog, like I'll I'll go and get it because I don't normally play those types of games, like horror games. <laughs> you know, I never played Resident Evil really, so I thought, okay, I'll do this. So I remember starting and playing like maybe the first two chapters. But then I, I guess I just realized that it was going to be too big, and so I, I was going to wait until the summer, but then I just, I don't know, I got lazy. So three years later, I was like, I'm going to do this. And I did, you know, I played it, and I played it through again, and, and I got the left behind, the little mini thing. And so glad I did. Oh. Such an emotional journey, and it feels so different because after I finished it, I went and played Uncharted 3 again, and, you know, in prep for the fourth one coming out, and I'm like, wow, this feels so different. But, like, super tense mo I don't know if I felt, like, as tense playing some of the levels as I had with playing The Last of Us. Yeah, I mean, The Last of Us is... There is some genuine, like, stop, you know, like, <gasps> moments in that game. Right, Like, yep. like it, it is super, super scary and well done. And, and Naughty Dog is very much in video games like Snyder is for me on comic books. Mm-hmm. It's like, put the name on it, I'll buy it. Yeah, You know? Yeah. Like, like, they could be like... World tennis tour. I'm like, I'll give it a shot. You know, I mean, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> they did tennis. I don't play tennis, but okay, it's gonna be good. You know, yeah. I mean, they do so good. Um, I haven't heard of a Last of a sequel yet. I don't know if the, I mean, I can't imagine they're not gonna make. One. Yeah, rumors, and apparently, shoot, what's his name who plays Nathan Drake? I just forgot. His oh, name. the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like at a press conference, he let slip something about Last of Us too. Oh, really? So I think now that, you know, Uncharted 4 was done and it's out now that, you know, I think they'll wait a little bit. But I think they're going to start, like, moving into plans for uh, Last of Us 2. No, do you play any other game? Like, what other games do you enjoy? Or is that just you're, like, you're just like a naughty dog person? Well, I have other ones. Like, I have Need for Speed and I have some sports games. And I've played the, the Batman ones uh, and I've played Assassin's creed mainly the uh, the Ezio trilogy but i i sort of i dabble but i i'm not a first person shooter i don't like i, I like third I person like games yeah yeah i like to see my little character you know so I, I don't know why i tried to play a game that i can't remember the name of it now it was years ago and it was like it's awesome and it's first person i'm like i can't i can't and he's like dude it's just you're stupid just try it okay right i couldn't play it i'm like i can't do this like, <laughs> i can't i can't see my guy i can't do yeah. you know like I can't play this game. So yeah. now, if you if since you get just got a four, mm-hmm. right? And if you want to go back and find like a little older budget game that I think you would really enjoy, okay. There's a game called Infamous. Oh, I played that. Which there's one for the for the PlayStation Four. Okay. That is probably two is or three like years son old now. Of something. Yeah. What is it? Uh, Infamous First Son, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Second. Yeah. No. Second Son. Second Son. Uh, okay. It was one of the first games that came out for the four, like three or four years ago. Okay. So you can get a copy off Amazon for like five bucks used. Okay. And, and if you like like that third person, like that kind of game, yeah. it's a really good, fun third person game. Okay. 
uh, it happens in like this open world of Seattle. So you get to like climb the oh, climb the Space Needle, okay. and it's really yeah. cool. You'd like. Does it. it connect? So I played the first one. I didn't play the second one. Does it connect at all to the second one? No, they they it happens in the same universe. You know how okay. they had the the guy Cole had the like the electric right. powers. Yeah. Right? He's not in this one at all. This one happens okay. on the other side of the country with another powered guy. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so it's in the same like universe where people are getting powers and then the government's not super happy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it's a fresh start from, for the series. Sounds good. Okay. And I'll I'll pimp now that I'm actually going to have an a Last of Us discussion on BTO. I think it may be like early June. So uh, if you if you want on that. Yeah, and you know what else is funny? We have a lot of similar interests, apparently. <laughs> I guess. I just finished People the last episode of The Clone other. Wars last week. You, oh my gosh, yes! I, I just, swear to. The Clone Oh my word, what's going on, Ed? <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny, because I'm like, I'm like, one time, I'm like, wait a minute, I just finished The Clone Wars, and I got Uncharted 4, I'm like, this is crazy, right? So Weird's going on, yeah. Yeah, The Clone Wars, what a great series. So I had watched, at one point, I do have to ask you about Barbara Gordon, we have to go into this, but sure. at one point, uh, I remember seeing the um, Clone Wars that was, I guess, like directed movie. or created... Yeah, that was on Cartoon Network, and it was by the Samurai Jack creator. Or, or you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think okay. of what is his name. Yeah, I didn't remember. Yeah. It's like Garandy. I don't know. But um, something like that. Uh, so I really liked that. And then when I, I remember when Clone Wars was coming out, I didn't really like sort of the art style, and I, and, and I never really watched it. But I decided I'm going to watch this. And I started watching, and I thought, oh, this is really good. And it went to places, like dark places. Oh, yeah. But I never expected it to go. And it was so, you know, disheartening to have Ahsoka leave. And, oh, I know. I um, that was that. tragic. But it was such a great ride, those uh, six seasons. I'm so happy that I went back and watched those. And they were on Netflix, so, you know. Was, That's what I did. Yeah. I Netflixed it. Now, are you watching rebels the new one i'm not but i heard good things but it's different tonally so it's lighter i hear well it's it starts off a lot lighter right and it mm-hmm. it, it, it the problem with rebels it's good it's not as good to me it's not as good as the clone wars okay but it's the one great thing about it is it is a direct sequel to the clone wars so like captain rex is a character in it ahsoka is a character in it you know like so mm-hmm. it is very much a direct sequel to the clone wars okay the, the longer it goes on, the more grown-up it's getting. Oh, okay. You're starting to play, and no spoilers, because I'm not going to tell you what happens, but you start playing with the concept, because this one happens in between episodes, so it happens before episode, the first Star Wars, so before episode four. Okay. Right? So Ahsoka's grown up, and she is essentially trying to find out what happened to Anakin, and doesn't realize he's Darth Vader. And Vader is in the show, and there's a lot of play between her and Vader, and it's really cool. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, but it's, it's a direct sequel. It definitely starts off like, it starts off where I think they were trying to be much, much lighter. Mm -hmm. And then as like the second and now the third season, they're almost back to the serious level of the, of the Clone Wars. Okay. But it's good. Um, if you got to spare 30 hours. (laughs) Well, summer's coming up, so, you know. True. So you will have a lot more time. But yeah, Last of Us, I'm totally in for that. I love that game. And it's funny, The Last of Us was the first video game that my daughter beat on her own from start to finish. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. She turned 13 and sat down. I said, well, you can't play it to your teenager. And then, I mean, to the day, she turns 13 and just literally goes, I'm taken. I go, okay. I open my mouth. So, you know. <laughs> so she she put on easy, but she beat it from start to end. So Yeah. 
I only played it on. I enjoy playing Uncharted. Like I will do medium, hard, and crushing. Like I'll, I mean, crushing mm-hmm. is sometimes frustrating, but oh, yeah. usually I'm able to uh, beat, beat it. But I had no like I did not want to even try. <laughs> it's tough. The survivor on <laughs> the last. There's, there's nothing there, by the way. There's nothing to pick up ever. I know. <laughs> like, yeah, how do you like... even survive? You like I got a shiv, and you just got to make it work. It's good. Now, do you play multi- before we get last thing before we do the real stuff? Do you okay. play multi like online games, or you just play like the single player mode? For Uncharted, I will do multiplayer. Okay. Oh, I don't I, think we're friends. You know, on P, are we a friends? No, I got. I I don't know. I have to put you on PlayStation. My PlayStation Four, and because I I never played multiplayer before. This is kind of weird, but so I never played multiplayer. I was always like a single player guy, and the only time I play multiplayer is like uh, I got transfer from my job years ago it's a long story but all my like college friends still live in ohio right so i live in florida so we would play like madden football against each other online at night mm-hmm. like that, right so I, but that's the only thing so i got battlefront uh the star wars game mm-hmm. and i started playing that multiplayer and i really liked that now i heard that uncharted's got a multiplayer so i'm looking forward to trying that out sounds good we we'll go. have to do steal some treasures together i think so well we are on a back roll show and I don't know if I asked you this when you were on previously, but what is your history with Batgirl uh, and specifically Barbara Gordon? Well, I started reading comic books in the late 80s when I was too young to be reading comic books that I was reading. Okay. Um, I was reading Arkham Asylum and Killing Joke when they were coming out, and I was like 11 or 12 years old. My parents, I think I may have brought this up to you before, but my parents had no concept. They're like, that's a comic book, right? Right. So mm-hmm. dad is like, Batman 89 comes out, the movie, mm-hmm. right? And, of course, any kid of my age was like, whoa, Batman, he's pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. And so my dad, I, I always re- I read a ton. Like, I, I've always got a stack of books around. And it's not always fiction. Like, I was reading a biography of Augustus Caesar last week. I'm always reading something, mm-hmm. right? So dad was like, hey, let's, you know, he's always reading. So you always want to reward your kid for reading. You don't want to give him not stuff to read, right? So dad gets me, like, literally, Arkham Asylum is one of the first things I ever read. And I'm 12, and I'm like, this is insane. <laughs> you know, like, Man. there's dudes eating bugs, there's half naked people. <laughs> like, this is awesome. So, Batgirl was just part of that that world. And remember, this is right when Killing Joke happens, right? Mm-hmm. So, I had literally no experience with Barbara as Batgirl until I was older and started going back and reading older things, right? So, most of my life, she, she's Oracle to me, which is weird because she obviously was Batgirl, you know, well, mm-hmm. before that. But for me, she was. She was always Oracle as the as the part of the universe. Like then I went back and read Crisis and started reading older stuff. Um, but that wasn't until I got a little older because my budget for comics was very small as as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, my my first job was the local bookstore started doing comics. You know, like the wire racks you see put comics right? in it, yep. them, right? So I essentially, when I was like thirteen years old, lectured the lady who owned the bookstore that she shouldn't do that because she was destroying the comics, right? So she hired me at 13 years old. I would come in a couple of hours a week after school on New Comic Book Day on Wednesday, and I would put all the comics on the newspaper shelf and straighten them all out, right? Mm-hmm. And for doing that, I would get five comics a week. That was my pay. So that's how I got into it. So I didn't really buy a lot of back issues. So it was when I was older that I started reading about Barbara. So she was, for, for most of my life, she was Oracle, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a lot of people around our age group kind of where they were with the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, there was Batman 66, which was... The first live action, you know, Barbara, and then Batman the Animated Series, Barbara. Uh, but that's kind of where I started with the character. Do 
do you have a a particular favorite for uh, a Batgirl? Year one. Okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, year one, I think is 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 probably my favorite Batgirl story, um, probably ever. Uh, I think it was one of the best cleanup origins ever done, where they were trying to take some different strands and and, and put it together. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked uh, Brian Q. Miller's run for Stephanie Brown Batgirl quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, but I think if you're looking at a Batgirl story. Uh, if I'm sitting here and I go, I'm going to read a Batgirl story, I would probably go to my shelf and grab your one. Mm-hmm. Good decision. It's a good, it's a good yeah, but I'd say it's, I don't think you'll disagree with me on that. Um, oh, absolutely not. Um, and I think it's it's a great book, and I think it holds up really, really well. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of books from that time period. Not that they're bad, but that they when you read stuff, you know how sometimes it can feel dated. Even if it's it's not a criticism of the story, but you can you read it and go, oh, this was wrote in 1994 or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Year one doesn't feel like that. When I read it, I don't go, mm, this is definitely 20 or 15 years old. I, I read and go, if this came out today, it would be good. So I guess that's Absolutely. the part of the thing about it. Well, today on this show, we are going to be doing Haunted Nights, and Barbara Gordon does, in fact, appear in this, and it was a... They were specials. Yeah. So they, they were Halloween specials. Mm-hmm. Um, they were published from 1993 to 1995. Um, it was part of the... Jeff Loeb and Tim Saley universe. <laughs> yeah. Right? And and uh, hopefully people know them from Dark Victory and Long Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a time where they were doing Long Halloween and Dark Victory with these uh, prestige format one-shot monthly books. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like the Dark Knight 3, but they actually came out every month. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> I know, I couldn't resist. Uh, but they had their own – it was their own little universe. It did a lot of things really, really well. It, it reintroduced like the modern day Dick Grayson origin, you know, mm-hmm. and it, re- it did a new origin of Two Face and 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 all these other classic Catwoman, a lot of these classic characters, which kind of became their de facto or- origins was from the Long Halloween, uh, and then they collected them. So the problem was they started collecting Long Halloween and Dark Victory, and they had these specials that were part of this universe, but they weren't collected anywhere. So they finally said, what do we do? They said, well, let's put them all together and call it Haunted Night. So if you buy Batman Haunted Night out there, um, what you're actually buying is a series of one-shots over three years that were Halloween specials that they collected into um, into a single store. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I will run down the plot of it for you if you want me to. Please do. So there is three of them. I am only going to touch on the very basics of the first, the first one and the third one. So the first one's called Fear, and it's a Batman hunting scarecrow story, and that's pretty much all you need to know about it, right? Uh, but the second one is called Madness. This is the one we're going to be focused on with Barbara in it. A quick note on this. I did a little bit of research for the podcast. So Madness has to take place chronologically after the long Halloween. Mm-hmm. Because there is a mention of Two-Face in the story, Madness. Mm-hmm. And in this universe, he is introduced towards the end of the Long Halloween. Right. So this, and there is no Robin in here, or a mention to Robin. So I'm assuming this happens between Long Halloween and Dark Victory. Uh, if, you're, if you're a canon buff and you're trying to figure out how to do the timeline, I think that's where it kind of falls at. Um, so this one opens up with Barbara, who in this version is the niece of Jim. Mm-hmm. And he's adopted her, and she's moving in with him, or has not adopted her yet, but she is living with him. And she's been out shopping at the be- at the beginning of the store, and they go home. Uh, then we're kind of treated to this Batman Mad Hatter fight uh, that ends with Hatter shooting Batman, and the and, and the cow doesn't kill him, obviously, but wounds him. Hatter escapes, and then we go back to the Gordon home, and we see Barbara trying to get Jim to let her go out trick or treat, hang out on Halloween, 
And Jim is having none of that and explains that this isn't Ohio, uh, which is where I'm from, which, which is not that safe to trick or treat anyway. Um, okay. but, but explains that, you know, this is Gotham City and she can't just go out and run around the streets at night in Gotham City. He has a fair point. But she gets upset, slams the door to the room after the argument. Uh, then we cut back to Batman, who is, who is unconscious and having some dreams about his parents' death, uh, which is kind of like his least favorite, most favorite thing to dream about, apparently. Um, now the gym goes upstairs finally after he calms down, talks to his wife and it's going to make peace with Barbara, but she snuck out, which like all kids do, I guess, or not all kids. My daughter, if you're listening, don't do that. So then we see that she goes to the park where she's attacked by this gang, but before they can come any harm, she's rescued by the Mad Hatter with a gun who kills the gang members. Apparently they were going to hurt her. Now we see that he's taken Barbara hostage or prisoner and he's using her to be Alice for his Mad Hatter tea party, which is kind of a reoccurring thing with Mad Hatter mm-hmm. uh, through the years. At the point of the first thing she says when he tries to give her tea is she doesn't like tea. This is like a total total meltdown for him. He starts flipping out. Um, and then we see Jim, who is now at this point realized that Barbara's gone, is desperate looking for her amongst the trick-or-treaters of Gotham. Then we are treated to a flashback with Dr. Leslie Tompkins and Alfred. That We see that after the death of Bruce's parents, one of the things they tried to give uh, Bruce to, to read and kind of help him through this was Alice in Wonderland, which he reacted very negatively to. Uh, then we see Batman wakes up and finds that Dr. Tompkins has patched him back up. He's feeling okay. We hear come across the radio that Jarvis Tech is in the Hill House, which looks like you're kind of the what you would think of as a like a haunted house, an old house. It's the scene of a double murder. No one will live there, and that's where he's having his crazy tea party. Um, Jim's on the scene. A girl inside matches Barbara's description. He's not 100% sure it's her. Batman comes in, goes in to save her. But in like something really cool that I, I, I really want to hear your thoughts on in a minute was there's a switch where Batman's confronting Jarvis Tech and it's Jim Gordon that comes in sweeping from the window to save the day, you know, and save Barbara, which is a total reversal of no Batman's the guy coming to the window. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have this like switch. Batman chases down Jarvis at this point, you know, knocks him unconscious, takes him into custody, all that. Uh, we have this little scene at the end where Barbara is telling Batman that she thinks everything that happens is her fault and she's looking at the ground and she looks up and... He's gone because that's what he does. Uh, Gordon tells her he does it all the time. And at this point, she calls Jim, Daddy, and says, Daddy, I want to go home. Uh, and the very last scene of the book is we see Bruce cuddling up to read Alice in Wonderland at home with fond memories of his mother. So that's this one. The third part is called Ghost, which is basically a Batman Christmas Carol, which is utterly and totally bizarre but enjoyable all the same. Uh, and those are the three stories that make up Haunted Night. Yeah, and I think I do like that Christmas Carol one a little That's bit cool. better than Noel. Do you remember we did Noel? Yeah, um, I do like By it better Lee, than Noel. Um, Lee Bermejo. Yeah, who's the current writer, yeah. Now, I will say this. Noel's art is amazing. Right. The art is off the charts, but the story is just kind of like... Yeah. It almost <laughs> seems like the story was an excuse for him to draw all these cool characters. Um <laughs> Probably. It really does. I mean, because the, yep. the, there's there's scenes in the art where it's like, wow, that is good. And then you're like, wait, what's going on here? He's got a cold. Like, what? Yeah. Weird. Weird. <laughs> Super weird. Yeah. But before we get into the story, I guess a question to kind of set the table so I know where you are on this. Mm-hmm. Is this long Halloween, uh, dark victory, uh, Catwoman and Win in Rome in this book kind of make up its own little mini Batman universe in a way? What what do you feel about these books, the the, the low the low verse, if we got to call it something? I love them. Long Halloween is one of those books that I could read over and over again, probably with you know some space in between. But like 
still unravel new pieces of the the mystery or still find new points and details that I hadn't discovered before. And I just think it's, I I love the art. I think that's like half of it, honestly. But just the stories are so good. And and those are things that I will lend to people. Like, you should read The Long Halloween. I think Dark Victory is less as impressive as The Long Halloween. I've actually only read it once, but I remember reading it and and thinking that, oh, well, I think I like The Long Halloween better. Just setting up characters in a different way and, and... the mystery involved with any everything and the art. I, I think it's an amazing little universe. Yeah, it's the long Halloween is one of those stories where, and my rightly so, you rarely hear someone go, "Yeah, I read it, but it wasn't for me." You know, like <laughs> I, I mean, if someone said that, I'd be like, I, "I well, I'd question their sanity." You know, and then I'd probably tell them, "You shouldn't read comic books; they're not for you." <laughs> like, you know, like if, if you don't yeah. like that one, you're not going to like any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, now there is. You know, I, I agree with you, by the way. I think that Long Halloween is better than Dark Victory. Dark Victory's not bad. No, no. It, it, it's just Long Halloween feels, like, momentous when you read it. You know, right. like, it feels like this is a big, giant story. And it might be some of the fact that it takes place over such a long period of time. Um, but it feels big. So, yeah, I just was trying to I – I didn't want to – before we started talking about it, like, so what do you think? You're like, oh, that Loeb guy can't stand his writing. I'm like, oh, um, ooh, you know. Uh, yeah. So nope. I, I – Good. We're 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 kind of on the same page are, there. Yeah. So what about this story here? The, I always wonder what reiteration of the Barbara origin do you default to with Jim being her uncle slash dad? <laughs> yeah, and and this is interesting because this is clearly the post crisis Barbara Gordon. Yes. And you get to see actually an aspect of her life that you I don't think we see ever again really because in the Barbara Kiesel special you see you know her actual father and her birth father and mother and and that life and then when they died and then when she's taken by Jim but you don't really get to see their interactions so it's nice to get a glimpse of like the day-to-day of you know sort of the conflict I mean that first page one of the panels she's like scratching out she's trying to figure out what to call him which is I think such an essential thing so this is just nice that trying to figure out you know who barbara gordon is in this post-crisis universe my default though to get back to your original question is i like to think of jim as her actual father i think that's my my favorite one even if you know it is uncle and niece i think he still treats her as if he is her daughter but i just like sort of the blood connection to go along with the title as well so that's that's my origin that i like yeah, and this is one of the few times we see it dealt with as directly as this, I think, right. mm-hmm. with her questioning what to call him and, and then a little bit of the resolution by the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think this can help clear up any continuity problems mm-hmm. by saying, oh, well, the reason why she calls him dad is because we've had this little adventure where she now calls – you know what I'm saying? Like, right. It could almost, you could almost use this as, well, why does she call him dad sometimes? And, well, because we had this little adventure, now she thinks of him as dad. So – this can actually be a continuity buffer, I think, mm-hmm. in a way. I think I prefer him as dad, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it makes more sense, especially when you deal with, like, the modern Jim Gordon Jr., the nut, and her brother, you know? Right. Yeah. Kind of, I mean, I think it's almost forced now. But, I mean, it's flip-flop for a long time, it felt like, you know, like, mm-hmm. what part it was. So I was always kind of a little unsure. Like you, I don't know if it makes a huge difference as long as they have a strong relationship, you right. know? Like if you sh- if you put a uh, the new Batgirl book which happens after Rebirth if 
Jim and her have a great father-daughter type relationship, and they're close, and she he finds out she's Batgirl, and then maybe they work together and some stuff, and we get to see that relationship. Mm-hmm. But he's her uncle, technically. I'm not going to lose my mind. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. The relationship's more important to me than, you know. Like, than the title, yeah. Yeah, don't have them, like, this kind of, div- these two characters divorced from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, because this book, really, from Barbara's point of view, she's obviously not Batgirl in it, because she's really young. Mm-hmm. But this is a great, uh, relationship piece mm-hmm. for these two. You know, this is you see like that utter panic, which as a parent, trust me, the like the you, the first time in your life you feel it. It is like the worst feeling in the world when you realize for a split second you don't know where your kid is. Right? It could happen in a grocery store. It could happen. You're right, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but the first time you have that feeling of you know there you know, it is it's a terrible feeling. Later on in life, you realize it's a good feeling because it's you're that protective. You know, and so as a parent, I read this book and I see Jim going crazy trying to find her right Mm -hmm. and i for me this is a very it it, this this story actually although it's small and it's it's a little set piece and the world's not in danger it actually is is more does it make any sense like it almost this is little piece is more emotional than like the world is going to end type story absolutely yeah i was wondering as i brought up in the thing so we see jim here come crashing through the window (laughs) yeah play the hero like did you get that because when i read it i thought immediately it's been a while since i read this full disclosure right so mm-hmm. when I reread it, I thought, that's definitely supposed to be a turn with him being Batman to save Barbara, right? Yeah. Is that how you saw it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and I think uh, it goes to show that he will go to to no end to, to save her. And I think, you know, just being that hero for her, I think is great. I, I, I like the piece a lot like that. I, I did. Yeah. I thought that it was, it was a really... And this is one of those things that when you when you bring in a new writer, um, hopefully the new Batgirl writers um, that come in, they should be like mandatory reading when you're taking over a character. I really mm-hmm. believe that. Yeah. Um, not just for comics. Like if someone walked in tomorrow, we always hear, I always hear like the writers that go, well, I didn't really read a whole lot. Before I started writing Superman, I never really read it before. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of stupid. You know, like yeah. if someone started writing Game of Thrones tomorrow, they wouldn't go, did you read the books? I said, no, nah, I didn't bother. What do you mean you didn't bother? You know, like yeah. you have to read. You have to read it. Mm-hmm. Stories like this and Batgirl Year One should be like mandatory reading for if you're going to write the character of Barbara Gordon. Mm-hmm. I don't see any way why why they can't be. But then maybe I'm you know over overdoing the importance of a story like this. But you're the the Batgirl expert. I mean, in in the moments you see with Barbara and Jim, do you think this is like a super important moment? This kind of the naming of of Dad or not? I think so, yeah, especially in this particular part of the universe, in this post-crisis universe, I think it's a big moment for her to finally admit this connection between them and not just be, you know, related and really strangers just living in the same house to actually being closer and actually family. I think it's a a big step. Uh, And I think this is also the moment where maybe she begins to look up to him so not just a father figure but you know a hero to her or someone that she idealizes which i think is a big reason why she became batgirl i disagree with it being you know she which is the post-crisis version that she was hiding in his office and saw batman and she became enamored of him i never really got that i always saw it as jim gordon is her hero and she looks up to him and um yes it was a joke at the very beginning you know to put on this batgirl costume but i think it's also because she wants to do something to help him out and of course in batgirl year one she wants to be a law enforcement officer and he's saying no and other people are saying no because they underestimate her and so she wants to do her own part and so you know the 
the chips fall and she becomes Batgirl. So I, I think it is a, a great moment, but it's not sort of like an average or, or usual um, story for Barbara Gordon. Now, the other question that this story basically makes you ask is who in the world would live in Gotham City if your kids can't even go trick-or-treating without almost getting <laughs> killed, right? Uh, yeah. I know Gotham's supposed to be a bad place, but it's not like Jim works at McDonald's. You know, like... Right, yeah. Come on, man. Go get it. Get, get and a clearly there are but... other people out there, but it's interesting. You bring up a good point just because there's that scene and... It's very brief, but obviously it's showcasing a bit of a double standard because he wants James Jr. to sort of grow up and be a man, even though he can't change his own pants, you know? He's a baby. But then he's so protective over Babs. You know, I do wonder what that's about. Is it because, you know, he feels like he's got to be this greater caregiver because she's not his and, and, you know, she's lost everything and and he is all she has? I'm not sure, but I'm sure there are other people out there that are going trick-or-treating. Well, yeah, and they, they, you see some of them when he's out with the spotlights looking for her. Um, You you see some of them, which makes me wonder. So this story is about a little over 20 years old. So 93, 95, yeah, about 20 years old. Do you think that that instance that you just talked about, about Jim needs to be a man, and do you think that if that if this was published tomorrow, and we were reviewing it as a brand new story for this month, it was Detective mm-hmm. Comics number whatever it is, mm-hmm. do you think we would look at the treatment of Barbara here as compared to Jim Gordon Jr. as sexist in today's society? And this is a 20-year-old book, so we aren't looking at it like that because we just look at it and go, ah, that's kind of the way it was back then? Hmm. Just a thought. Yeah. Or is it just like, you know, daddy's little girl sort of symptoms? Like you, you want to, right. you think of the daughters as, as being more precious. And I also, you need to protect them more. Yeah. yeah. And I also wondered about like, is there anything you can see about foreshadowing with James Jr. and all of that stuff? And clearly, like, it's funny because he doesn't really dote on James Jr. He just wants him to like grow up. Whereas, you know, her, he's, he's putting lots more attention on there. And so you kind of wonder about that relationship comparison. There is definitely a, and again, there's a lot of continuity and flux on on James Jr. Right, you know? but it's pretty apparent that two things happen. At some point, he turns into a pretty terrible human being, mm-hmm. you know, and at another point, that the parenting of Jim and his wife don't do that kid any favors either. Right. Um, I mean, there is definitely the whole "Are they born evil?" that they play with for a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, would he always have been evil? Was it really Jim and his wife? But this does kind of personify that the doting on Barbara and the almost just telling the kid to grow up may have played into the fact that he turns into a total nut, mm-hmm. you know? So it's interesting. I mean, it's funny because this story is probably 25 to 35, 45 pages. It's not very long. Mm-hmm. But there seems to be a lot that happens for us, you know, a lot of meat in the bones for a, a story that, that's that short. Yeah. Now, you brought up the art. I'm an art guy. You know, I'm always yapping about art whenever Dustin will let me, which is mm-hmm. really. <laughs> really? Every time I'm like, let's talk about the art. I was like, Dustin's like, oh, it's fine. I'm like, okay, thanks, buddy. You know, um, <laughs> what, uh, this is the, the same art that's throughout all along. I know you mentioned earlier that you, that you liked it, mm-hmm. but what what do you do you like about this type of art? Because this is definitely not what we would call DC house art like Jim Lee or Tony Daniel, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, what is there any particular pieces in here that stand out to you the most or – do you just like the overall feel of the art in the book? I like, yeah, I like the overall feel. Um, I think it's it's simplistic, and I say that only with like there's not a lot of hash marks, you know, or oh, yeah. lots of you know over over use of pencils. I think their faces generally they have the same like 
you know, the eyebrows and you look at the eyes and you can tell that it's uh, it's Tim Sale. Were you joking when you said Sale? Or yes. Is... Yeah, okay, I thought so. I thought so. That, that, oh, was, but... a, that was a baloney joke for anybody, inside joke. Anyway, <laughs> oh, gosh. A little, a little inside baseball oh, joke God. there for anybody. Yeah. You know, their faces carry such emotion. I don't know. There's just something... There are just some artists that, like, you can look right away and be like, oh, I know who that is. And I, I've just been really drawn to uh, to this particular one. And I love what he does with people with glasses. Oh, yeah. Where, like, um, it's always – you only see sort of, I guess, the, the glare of it. You can't see their eyes. I think that is always great. He, he does great work with shadows in all of his stuff, especially when in Rome, which I don't know, I'm sure you've read at some point, which is really good. Right. But the the thing that I, I get about his his artwork, and kind of in this one in particular, is that I absolutely despise the Mad Hatter, mm-hmm. right? And this is one of the few times when I see him on a page, I don't get like angry. Yeah, you know, um, he even makes a character that I cannot stand bearable. Yeah, the art is also it's a, to me it's a lot like the current um, Cap and Snyder run. This long Halloween from the beginning to the end of Dark Victory, and with these things and when in Rome and all thrown into it, right? Mm-hmm. It's 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 coherent. It feels very much like art can take me into a story, but it can also take me out of a story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, bad art can make me go. Uh, I don't like that. You know, like it's kind of nitpicky, but art. I mean, this is a visual medium. I mean, at some point, if you're reading comic books and you don't like art, again, you've missed the point. Right. You know, we're reading a book that is half art, half words. Mm-hmm. You know, it, is, it is telling the story through art. So the art is extremely important to me. When you read Long Halloween, Dark Victory, and this all together. Since the style all feels the same, it 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 makes it helps me immerse myself in the fact that this is kind of an escapism reading, of course, right? But that it feels like one big giant cohesive universe and story, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I, I I like the fact that we see these consistent long art runs. Um, and besides Cap and Snyder, this may have been one of the longest ones if you put all this together. Mm, true. I mean, Long Halloween's twelve issues, Dark Victory's twelve issues, so that's twenty-four issues. Uh, there is six of these, so that's thirty. When in Rome is six more, each. so this is almost forty issues too, you know, mm-hmm. um, of stuff. So I, I have a soft spot for anything out of this universe. I would have liked to have seen if they had done. Now this is this is the question I really want to ask you. I have all this time to ask you the question I really want to ask you. Okay. Would you have liked to have seen, I think the answer is yes, but what would you have liked to have seen if they had done one past Dark Victory in part of this universe with the Barbara Gordon Batgirl in it? Would that be something that you would have been interesting to see what they'd done with her in this universe as Batgirl? I think it, it would have been interesting to see, but I think tonally it may have been uh, quite different from Batgirl Year One, and, and I'm afraid that would have been darker. Yes. Because um, generally all of their stories are more like, you know, Dark Knight sort of you know darker as batman yeah. usually does yeah they are a little darker they're not quite um like if you look at dark victory and you compare it to like all-star batman and robin mm-hmm. have you read all-star batman and robin have you had that pleasure i <clears> haven't <laughs> that's why i have so here's the thing they are essentially and i don't mean this this is not i'm not saying that these guys were stealing off each other mm-hmm. right it is essentially the exact same story now, it doesn't follow the same beats, but the story is, hey, Dick Grayson's origin is stupid because it's from the 60s. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying this is, the, you know, Dick Grayson's origin is stupid because it's from the 60s. Let's make it modern, right? Like, it's essentially, they both, Dark Victory, in my opinion, does it much, much better than All-Star Batman and Robin, mm-hmm. right? But it's essentially telling the exact same story. 
if you want to see dark, go read All Star Batman and Robin. Oh, it is. You should read. This is one of those books. Like I hate to do this to you, but it's like the Killing Joke in a way. Oh, but it's one of those things that I don't particularly like it, but I think that it's important to read only from this one perspective. All Star Batman and Robin is absolutely a prequel to Dark Knight Returns. That is the Batman and Dark Knight Returns is the Batman from All Star Batman and Robin. And so, if you want to see dark, sometimes I mean, it's it's, it's what he does to Robin in that book is seriously. Um, and if you ever read it, I would be interested to have this in depth discussion with you. It's essentially child abuse. Um, wow. He walks Dick up in a cave, doesn't feed him, makes him eat rats. Uh-huh. Like it's yeah, I mean it's it's weird. So. I understand what you're saying about dark, but it, it, if you want to see dark, that book is go read that. Wow, it's it's it it in it, 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 actually the sad slash great thing about it is when you read that you've read Dark Knight Returns, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know how Batman in there is is even for an old Batman, he is kind of mean. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, like the, he intentionally makes essentially wants to torture, make people suffer when he beats them up. You know, mm-hmm. he chooses the most painful way. If you read that. Uh, All Star Batman and Robin. It really forms a, tr- a, a trilogy of books with that Dark Knight Returns, Dark Knight Strikes Again. I guess a quadrilogy now, or a Douglas Adams trilogy, which is a trilogy with more than three books, with the Dark Knight Returns and Dark Knight Three. So you should read it, but read it in the same way you read Killing Joke. So okay, with a martini or oh, whatever gosh. libation you choose. Yeah. So that's Haunted Night for anyone who hasn't read it. It's that really it really good. What did you think about uh, Mad Hatter being the villain and, and you know, kidnapping Babs? Uh, okay, I hate Mad Hatter. Mm-hmm. I can't stand the character. I don't know why. Some of it's kind of, like, I know it's not 100% rational. I think it worked fine in here because the story isn't really about the Mad Hatter, if that makes any sense. Right. Like, he's there, mm-hmm. but you could have just as easily had Scarecrow or Black Mask, or you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it's only the fact that we need Barbara to be kidnapped for Batman and him to rescue and Jim to rescue her, you know? Mm-hmm. So since he really doesn't play a part, I mean, he does the little dress up game, dress her up like Alice is his little shtick, but yep. that easily could have been replaced with the scarecrow tying her up and giving her fear gas or, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. for me, he is okay only because he is not ne- a necessity to the story. He's just an accessory piece to the story. Is that, you know what I'm saying? I do. Do you think it's realistic that he was able to hold his own against Batman? No, no, I don't think he could hold his own against me, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I just don't like that guy. <laughs> I Clearly. Mean, I, I, I just, I, I, I think that he is, like, a, a sloppier version of better villains. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't see the point. Like, you want mind control, use Scarecrow. You want the short, you know, kind of a pudgy mastermind, go use Penguin. You know, like, <sighs> I don't see what the point of this guy is. Listen, I like Alice in Wonderland. It's great. I like Lewis. He's a great writer, mm-hmm. right? There is some people that think he was Jack the Ripper. I don't think he was, Whoa. right? Um, there is. There's, there's, there's it's a long story. But there's a conspiracy that thinks that he was Jack the Ripper, which is weird. And I understand how important the book is. I have an, a big annotated version of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it seems like it gets brought up so much in comics that it sometimes I just wish there was a moratorium on giving it a couple years off. Yeah. That's all. Now – you don't seem to have the vehement feelings against the Mad Hatter that I have. Well, I, I guess it's because this one is such a better version than the Lazy Eye DC oh, yeah. New 52 version. No doubt about that. So that's why I'm okay with it. It's but. He's tolerable here. He's not yeah. um, he, He's not the – the one in the New 52 is you took a character that I already didn't like. right? I didn't like it anyway, and you mm-hmm. made it 
where I'm just like, I can't do this. You know, <laughs> like I can't, I can't. Yeah. I, I, I got that, that, and there's other stories. That, and that's, I think maybe the problem with, with Mad Hatter is he has been used so many times terribly, mm-hmm. right? That I, I have this reaction when I see him, I'm like, this is going to be bad because except for like this story here and maybe a couple of the detective runs in the nineties, right? Like everything he's been in is bad. He actually got that graphic novel through the looking glass. Yeah. Did you ever read that? No, I, I remember we almost covered it on that DC, the, well, the TBU, uh, the collected we were doing for yeah. a while. It's bad. I mean, it's bad, bad. Oh, <laughs> it's 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 almost. Uh, you know how at the end of Batman and Robin Eternal, you were just like, "Who cares?" Like I was. I'm like, just let's end it. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Right? I read that book, and when they was like ten pages left, I found myself like kind of speedy, like, "Okay, come on, we're done. Let's go over." Like it's it's just bad, mm. and it's the art is Kelly Jones, which I don't hate him like another guy I know, but it's not great. So yeah, I just have a vitriolic reaction to this character. But so now who's the one that you hate? You have to have a villain that when you see, you're like, Oh, this guy again. It'd probably be Joker. Is that your guy? I Joker? think so. Yeah. Is it because of, is it because the director, what happened with killing Joe? I, it's part of the, I, I think it sort of turned once that happened, but you, you know that I don't like the, um, death of the family. Yes. Um, and, and all wrong about this, that. Uh, oh, please. All of the stuff that uh, went down with that. And I just feel like he's overused. He is. Con- I mean, there isn't any doubt that I think the Joker is overused. And he's become the big bad in a way that isn't really almost appropriate for the character. I mean, the neat thing about Joker is he's kind of a counterpoint to Batman and the fact that they're both kind of powerless people. Um, but at the end of the day, he's just kind of a nut job. You know, um, that, I mean, his special power is insanity, I guess, if you want to walk down that aisle. You know, sure. I mean, like, like why yeah. not? Sure. I mean, if, if Batman's superpower is being rich, you know, I guess Joker's is being nuts. There um, you go. But, yeah, there is – I don't like he's the kind of the big bad behind a lot of the stuff, which is, is why when, when Endgame came out, I really wanted him to make them like the immortal Joker version. Not because, you know, I, 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 I've got where that would upset people. But if he is going to be the biggest big bad in the entire Batman universe, and that means Batgirl and everybody else, it would have been more credible if he was like this ancient evil than just a nut job failed comedian. Does that does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Like, um, so yeah, but Joker's your person. Joker, when you see him, you're like this guy again. We got to do this again. Yeah. Hmm. I think you could be in for a rough run the next couple of years because I think they're going to use him a lot. Really? But remember, he was sitting on the bench and he said, "Not yet." Not yet. What's that mean? Well, actually, you might be okay because we got the Two Face story, and that's like eighteen issues, literally. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Uh, so, I guess Snyder won't be. We won't be on Snyder's second story until next December for All Star. Mm. <laughs> Think about that. We yeah. won't be on Snyder's second. Um, so I guess you might get a while. I would wonder what would happen if they if they would let if Snyder's writing All Star Batman. I want to let him tenure or the other guys play with him. That I don't know, but yeah. And I think you still are, are hurt by what happened in The Killing Joke. Which... I am. I don't think I'll ever get over it. People have been asking me, like, have you seen The Killing Joke trailer? And I tell them I refuse to watch it. So, You're not going to watch that movie, are you? No. I think um, – so I will – you know what I'm going to have to do? Though? I'm going to have to probably interview those people for San Diego Comic-Con. Mm. So I'll do that. And then, you know, sometimes they give me – give us a pass to see it. 
And I have openly already told Josh and Don that I will watch the beginning because they're like sort of filling it with um, a board and stuff. Yeah. But then I will leave after that and they can stay there and watch and I'll wait for them. But no, I, I'm not going to watch it. Well, I don't really have um, any desire to, to see it either, mm-hmm. which is like it's one of those really weird things that if you told me six months ago, hey, Mark Hamill is going to come back and do the Joker and Kevin Conner is going to be Batman. They're going to do one more film. I'd be like. Yeah, sounds great. And they're doing the killing joke, like ah, not so much, you yeah. know. Like, and plus the fact that they're, I always hate it when you hear this stuff. We're trying to make it so adult, okay? You know, like it's rated R. Oh, great. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't think of all the super cool stories in the history of Batman and Batgirl and all the characters. Like this one has been just beat to to death. I don't think it needs am. I would much rather see Batgirl Year One as an animated movie. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Like, not even close, and I can think of a bunch of other stories. I'd rather see Hush, you know. Like, and if they wanted R rating, why not do Batman the Cult? Oh yeah, Deacon Blackfire and that crazy story. Yeah. Or do you? And you want to do like an experimental film? Do Arkham Asylum? You want to do something nutty? You know, I mean, yeah. try to turn that into one. The Killing Joke just seems. I don't know. I I get why it's something you have to read because it's such a part of the character. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it's such a pivotal moment. But it's like. Well, you're a Game of Thrones person. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. The Red Wedding. I never mm-hmm. watched that and went, I need to watch that again. I'm going to miss Oh, no. Something. No. Like, like, I don't need to see it again. That was horrifying. Yeah. Like, I've read The Killing Joke. I know what happens, not just to Barbara, which is terrible, but to Jim and Batman and everything else. Right? I don't need to, you know what I'm saying? I don't need to relive it. I've read it. I'm fine. I'm done with it. I don't need to see a movie of it. I don't need, you know, that's it for me. Yeah. So we're on the, we're on the same page there for sure. We are, yeah. I want to ask you a continuity question. Sure. Because back or Barbara Gordon meets Batman here. Do you think this is the first time or do you think that this happened after she hid in her famously hid in her father's office and saw them talking and she got a crush on him? I think this would have to be if if you had to link those continuities together, not just throw one out the window, <clears throat> which is an option. <laughs> um, I would think this would have to be the first time. Um, because I only from the aspect that she, one seems to have just got to the city not too long ago, mm-hmm. right? And in that story, she references to Jim as her father. And if this is kind of the moment where she starts calling him dad, does that make any sense? Yeah, you know, yeah. That if, if this is where she says, "Oh, you know, this is now you're my dad, daddy," whatever, whatever reiteration time we want to use, then I think that it would only it would have to happen after this, right? Yeah. I do like the fact he disappears on her. Yeah. <laughs> He, he's got to realize that that's got to be yeah. crushing for a girl her age. Like, I'm mm-hmm. talking to thin air, you know? Yeah. But I think that would make sense. Or you, you could just take the one part out of continuity and act like it never happened. That's a personal choice, though. Yeah, very true. So, but so no, what boring. would you uh, give this, then? I would give out this... Out of 10 Cheshire cats. 10 Cheshire cats. Oh, we're all mad here. I'm going to give this one eight and three quarters. Eight and th- oh my heavens, eight and three quarters. I'm actually going to give it um, a nine point five out of ten. Cheshire Cats. I really liked it. It's um, good. It is really good. Yeah, I think it's great. And again, uh, we get to see uh, a part of Bad's childhood life that you never see anywhere else. That I may change that, you know, if I read something else, but I've not seen it ever before. And I love just the theme of families that goes throughout. You know, Mad Hatter is offering refuge to runaways. That's clearly family. 
Jim and Babs. You have Bruce Wayne remembering his mother and father as well as his relationship with Alfred and more so. Leslie. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say Lee, but Leslie Thompson. <laughs> the Gotham version? Oh, gosh, I haven't watched that since the mid-season finale. But, yeah, just how different people create different families in different ways, um, which I, I thought was really great. So I recommend this. Um, I recommend any of the Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale stories for Batman, so I think. Yeah, I, I would honestly start with Long Halloween. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think you just – if I had to put this in a reading order, you would re- I, you would go Long Halloween, and then if you had a trade collection, Haunted Night, Catwoman, When in Rome, and then Dark Victory. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the order. And it's so, like, if you're listening to this podcast and you have not read Long Halloween, you should go read Long Halloween. Like, that's, I mean, as much of an endorsement as I can give a book. It's, it's right. that good. It's that yep. good. Now it's time for some listener email. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Here's the mail, it never fails It makes me want to wag my tail When it comes, I want to wail Well, I figured that there are going to be a lot Because remember, I was saving it Especially from Minority Report But boy, is there some Buku email here So I better just get started First up from Jaime Valdez Lopez He uh, wrote me on Facebook and drew my attention to a particular article. So let me read that message here. He says, hello, Mistella. Sorry to bother you, but I'm hoping to get your opinion on something not related to Batgirl. As you may have heard, the Star Wars Rogue One trailer was released a few days ago, and already some people are complaining about there being another woman as the lead protagonist in a Star Wars film, and that she's just going to be a Mary Sue-like Rey. In regards to the first point, apparently some people fail to realize that there is more than one woman in the world and that the majority of Star Wars stories or stories in general have male leads. In regards to the second point, personally, I don't like the term Mary Sue. I find that it's not only overused but also used incorrectly a lot of the time. Besides, with all the perfect, overpowered, wish-fulfillment male characters that exist, what's wrong with women having their own versions anyway? I read this article that summed up a lot of my feelings on the Mary Sue criticism. Both the writer of the article and I agree that female characters are the ones people will complain about being Mary Sue's, while male Mary Sue's or Gary Stu's get a pass. If you don't mind my asking, Sal, what do you think about all this? So I did, you know, look up the definition of Mary Sue so that people who weren't in the know would better understand what this term means. And so a Mary Sue for female characters or Gary Stu, Marty Stu, or Larry Stu for male characters is an idealized and seemingly perfect fictional character, a young or low-ranked person who saves the day through unrealistic abilities. And often this character is recognized as an author insert or wish fulfillment. Now, when I look at people in pop culture characters, I guess I should say. I think it's pretty clear, you know, if they pop out and they're overpowered and it seems like man alive, you know, should they be doing all that they're doing? Nothing can go wrong with them. I think one particular character that Donovan Morgan Grant would certainly agree with is from an anime series that I actually really like called uh, The Irregular at Magic High School. And I've seen on the interwebs people complain about the the male character and just that he's way overpowered, uh, things like that. So, you know, when I look at Ray. I don't see someone who's overpowered or, you know, a wish fulfillment for anyone. You know, she has this sad history 
being abandoned on, you know, desert-like planets, uh, being an orphan to a certain extent, not really having a loving relationship with anyone, and then finding, you know, a family or like someone she respects, certainly with Han Solo and Chewbacca. And there is something mysterious about her already. I think it's not like she randomly in the middle of the movie knows all this techno stuff. I think it was clear that she knew a lot of tech. Uh, she grew up around it. it. Very similar to Anakin Skywalker because, you know, I mean, she's basically digging out different Star Destroyers and things like that. So clearly she needs to know what she's looking for. So the fact that she's able to work on spaceships is not too, too much of a surprise. And I think perhaps people will also, if, you know, this is where we're going, maybe people are complaining about the end fight, you know, her being able to use the Force on the Stormtrooper that's guarding her and then uh, the lightsaber. And again, it's not, I mean, she doesn't use the Force perfectly the first time takes her a couple times and then you know the lights it like she gets knocked out the first time so it, it's not I think things could have gone way differently and then she could have been I guess considered a Mary Sue but I don't really see that term working for her and I also really think that her her father I was gonna say her her patronage but her father is Luke Skywalker and if that is true then you know I think it makes all the more sense that she does have a really strong lineage and lots of force in her blood so then you know we get to the rogue one business um and i don't see this girl as i mean i almost see her as the complete opposite of ray in a you know well i guess maybe in in some instances she's not the complete opposite but she seems like a down-to-earth character in my opinion uh, she's doing rebellions, uh, very much kind of like the punk rocker, maybe, of the, the Star Wars universe. But it's not like she has any force powers, or so it seems. It's just that she's going to sort of weed out and find some things out um, using her down-to-earth powers, which is basically just being a human. So, you know, I think that is being, in fact, misused if we were assuming that, you know, she is some sort of wish wish fulfillment or she's got these outrageous powers i don't think i see that with that particular character in star wars someone i could potentially see as wish fulfillment and even the director and writer had said was wonder woman right and she's going to be really one of the first uh characters that we see in this new dc universe on film and even the the writer had said I guess, leading to designers and everything else that, you know, it's complete wish fulfillment for her to to see this leggy Amazonian. But, you know, she, she is an Amazon. She's pretty overpowered. I, I think we women need some sort of strong role model like that. But to balance that, I think you also need someone like Barbara Gordon, who may never appear in film, uh, to be that every woman and to have maybe intellect powers, but to be someone that you look up to. The fact that people are getting hot under the collar over the Rogue One trailer, the fact that most of the criticism is going to be coming from males, and honestly, are they a little, are they getting a little intimidated that women are starting to you know, take up the mantle a little bit more and actually be represented more in the Star Wars industry. And perhaps, you know, the men are feeling like Star Wars was their thing. You know, you had these rough, rough guys, potentially, you know, Chewbacca and Han Solo. You had Luke Skywalker. I mean, the androids were male. And then you had Princess Leia, who was sort of a Princess Peach character, you know, rescue the princess. But then uh, she was 
more capable, even though in Jedi, you know, she slave way and everything else. But are they? I, I think there's some sort of they're they're feeling threatened here. Uh, the men that now we're having more women in my Star Wars fantasy, and I just want it to be men. I mean, there are of course female Jedi masters, but we haven't really seen too much of them, and the majority of them do seem to be male. So once you start slipping a little more female characters in there, I think that it seems uh, a little threatening and scary for people who are not used to that. So I think it's coming from that, I would say. Uh, I'd love to hear from anyone who does not like Rey or who does not like this new character in Rogue One. But, I mean, my goodness, you know, why can't we just see it as a character in an interesting story rather than the fact that, you know, it's her gender? I, I do hope, though, that she proves to be unique to her gender. Like, I hope, you know, as we, we said in the, in the discussion, that she's not just someone that we could have switched with a male and it would have worked. So I, I'm hoping that, you know, if we're diversifying all sorts of pop culture, why can't Star Wars be a part of that? And, you know, I, I think it's legitimate that uh, this particular character could work really well in the Star Wars universe. And Rey was my favorite character in this new Star Wars film, uh, Episode 7. And I can't wait to see what else happens with her. And I was never put off by any of this stuff, you know, that happened. So uh, th those are my thoughts. Uh, maybe a bit of a rambling, but, you know, I, I don't. Using the term Mary Sue, I think, is, is a bit ridiculous. Could you drop that on every character? Or Marty Stew, could you also drop that potentially on every male character? I mean, isn't that Peter Parker? That, you know, he's he's a nobody, and then all of a sudden he gets... I mean, it could be everyone. You could make an excuse for everyone. So why even use that term whatsoever? So thank you, Jaime, for... You know, if your name is actually Jamie, I do apologize. But... Thank you for uh, sending this my way, and I hope people's sentiments change. I think that that trailer looks amazing, and I think you've got to wait to withhold judgment until... Because you have no idea if she's overpowered or not just by the trailer. So I think it's more the fact that she is a female that is threatening uh, male fantasies of being just a bunch of men in uh, Star Wars, and that's not what the universe is like. So anyways, thank you, and those are my thoughts. Next up, we have from Gene Hendricks. He's writing in regarding the Minority Report. He says, Stella, I finished up your Minority Report episode this morning, and I was really impressed with what you and Donovan Morgan Grant did with the subject. As a heterosexual white male, I originally thought that I wouldn't have anything to say on the episode. By the way, I was certainly not offended by your telling those of my group that we weren't invited, since we're the majority. That all changed when I heard the atheist point of view. For some reason, I never thought that religion would be part of your scope, but it does make sense. As a member of a minority religion, known variously as heathenism, asatru, and Norse paganism, I have to say that atheists have one up on us. For good or ill, you do get some atheist representation on TV, in movies, or in comics. No, it's not always great, but it's there. When's the last time you saw anything on heathenism, or even more general paganism, in the comics where they weren't being made fun of? I worship the Norse gods, and Marvel Comics just happens to have those beings in the flesh on Earth, but do they have any worshippers? Nope. It's the same in DC, where, you know, I do have to say that, I think the only time there are worshippers of the Norse gods in Marvel Comics is Spider-Man 2099. They're sort of like this religious sect that worships Thor. So I do ask, or I do uh, suggest maybe check those out, or if you've read that, let me know what your thoughts are on this. But 
from my memory of reading that, which it hasn't been too long ago, they're sort of made fun of and seen as like crazy fanatics. But you should read that and let me know what you think about that. But back to your email. It's the same in D.C. where the Greek gods are out there among the masses, or at least they have Wonder Woman as a representative. But there are no Hellenistic pagans to be seen. The only time that I've seen anything like that was a Superman cult in the comics, who were not shown as being very nice people, and the episode Hand of Fate of Superman the Animated Series, where Rain Song and her coven were a punchline. You would think, seeing as how there's a Norse temple being built in Iceland, that there would be a bit higher profile of these topics, especially when comics have characters pulled from these religions appearing regularly. Think of it this way. If you had a character who said they were Jesus, proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that that's who they were, and no one paid any kind of homage to them, how would you feel as a Christian? Well, it's not on the same scale. We are a minority, after all. The fact that not once have I seen someone say, Hail Thor, or wear a hammer amulet, especially when Asgard was actually on Earth, really does get to me. Asgard was treated as a tourist attraction and not as a pilgrimage site in those stories, which doesn't make much sense to any one of my faith. All right, enough ranting. In the scope of what you talked about, this is a minor thing, as I chose my religion, and everything else you talked about were things people were born as with no choice, but I wanted to get it out there. I'd love to hear something like this from you and Donovan again in the future. Gene, and in case you didn't hear it, here's my episode on Norse mythology, and you can find that Two True Freaks, and his podcast is called The Hammer Podcast, The Hammer Strikes is the podcast title. So this is very interesting, Gene. Uh, and I didn't, when we started the episode, or even when I was considering it, I was thinking more about race and uh, ethnicity and uh, or sexual orientation and poten- potentially uh, gender identification as well. And I was sort of weaving religion out of it. Even though religion is important to me, I, I felt like it would uh, potentially muddy the waters, you know, with what I was saying. So I decided, you know, I'm going to, I just want to focus on these other things and keep religion out of it. Uh, but then, yeah, we had our guest who talked about atheism. And, of course, you know, I sort of want to come back and, and also talk about, you know, being a Christian and what that representation looks like as well. And listening to you, so this is very interesting. I actually, this is new for me. I, I know some Wiccans. But uh, I don't know um, anything about heathenism or, or more general paganism. So I do appreciate you writing in. And I agree with you that I, uh, you know, the fact that I don't know anything about it shows, I think, that I've not seen anything. The only thing I would say would be the, the Thor, or yeah, the Thor cult in Spider-Man 2099. And if that's the only thing that exists, uh, that is very unfortunate that, you know, you have no representation out there to, to read and, and relate to. So thank you for writing in, Gene. I do, again, suggest going out there and, and reading Spider-Man 2099 because you'll get some glimpses. Uh, they pop up in several different stories. There are two trades out there now, but I think you can get all the issues probably on Comixology, and I think it is also on the, the Marvel Unlimited, that sort of thing. So there you go. More from the Minority Report, we have one from Martin Gray, uh, who actually was one of our callers in. That was a great show, Real Food for Thought. A few random comments that popped into my stupid old head. Ryan Choi came back in Convergence, but I don't think he's been seen since. Kyle Rayner is Irish-American slash Mexican-American. It turns out his CIA agent dad's name is Vasquez, but his heritage tends to get ignored. 
Connor Hawk is a quarter Korean, a quarter African American, and a quarter Caucasian, so of course, he's blonde. Mind, mind you, better a character whose heritage isn't obvious than have them presented as offensively as Chop Chop of the Blackhawks and Hal Jordan's Inuit friend Tom Cal. Kalmaku pie face, and let's not mention Tyrock's arrival in the Legion of Superheroes. Missy Knight's friend Colleen Wing's parents are Japanese and Chinese, but you wouldn't know to look at her. As it turns out, Emma Frost wasn't British, just pretentious. <laughs> Gotta love that. That character is difficult to like sometimes, for sure. Away from the comics, the Leopold and Lope story, aha, was the basis for Hitchcock's Rope, famous for the 10-minute take experiments, but worth a watch because of its uh, because it's a wonderful thriller. Buffy had a bit of gay when Witch Willow switched, and yet girlfriend Tara got buried. Yep, I, I did think about that couple. I also thought about Xena and Gabrielle. I was a big fan of Xena back in the day, uh, but before, I guess. Uh, she and Gabrielle got together. Black Like Me sounds fascinating. I hate the comic book title, Incognito Mind. Uh, was this the inspiration for the infamous but well-meaning Lois Lane story? I'm curious. Black? I'm appalled, and I don't know about that. Uh, you would have to ask. Uh, Michael Bailey would probably be someone to know. Or to ask, or potentially Donovan Margaret. And finally, he says, I'm appalled to hear that U.S. Telly is in the business of curing the paralyzed and was going to cite Coronation Street's wheelchair user Izzy and feel all superior. Then I remember there's another character, Siobhan, who lost the use of her legs for a month. So there are all his thoughts on different people. And Colleen Wing, yeah, I should have thought about her. I'm a fan of Misty Knight, if only because she dated Danny Rand, a.k.a. Iron Fist, and I have a bit of a crush on him. But I'm hoping that, and I'm actually, they have the actress to play Colleen Wing in the upcoming series for, I think it's Defenders, it could be Iron Fist. Uh, I think it's Defenders, though. And she's on Game of Thrones, but I'm not sure what her ethnicity is. I would have to look that up. According to Wikipedia, she is East Asian. The daughter of a Singaporean Chinese mother and a Zambian English father. Uh, so there answers the question on uh, the actress, who happens to be Jessica Henwick, who will play uh, upcoming Colleen Wing. From Michael Ridge. Says, Salway Stella, I just spent my Saturday afternoon listening to your special project on minority portrayals in media. I have some thoughts on the subject as I took several college courses on discrimination during my 30-year career in personnel. It was always hard to be taken seriously in those classes as a straight white male without a visible handicap. Nevertheless, I learned a lot of the legal protections for so-called minorities, and I've heard a lot of stories about why they were not enough. You found it hard to decide what to call those who didn't fit into a minority category. White straight males have never been the majority of the world's population, but that is the group that you want to call the majority. It might be better to think of them as the group who have inherent privileges, though that always starts arguments with the guys who tell you that they had a rough start that was nothing like privilege. If you lived in China, the privileged group would be Chinese men who are members of the party. In Chile, Spanish speakers would be privileged. Yusel would still be a minority in either country, as would Don. For us in the U.S. and Canada, straight, white, Christian, male, not handicapped, and speaking English is considered normal, and everyone else is, as you said, the other. We've learned from recent cases of high school bullying that there are a multitude of ways to be different. When I was in high school, short guys and fat guys were bullied. I went to an all-boys military school. I'm 70 years old, and it is clear that there are plenty of stereotypes about old people. Everyone's a victim of prejudice is another false premise that shows up in internet arguments on this subject. It's a false argument because it equates dealing with jerks with a systematic problem. I've been reading comics for a long time. 
I bought comics that were fresh on the rack in the official golden age. Things have gotten better and some things that make us cringe this year were considered brave statements of quality when they were published. Look up the Lois Lane story, I Am Curious Black. Aha! That may have been inspired by Black Like Me. Oh, there you go. It answers the previous email. Despite tone-deaf tries at minority heroes, the creators were frequently trying to do something once to promote diversity and acceptance. There really is no excuse for Ebony White, but Eisner also introduced other non-comic relief black characters. I'm trying not to sound like a self-justifying white guy, but pretty much everything I said could be heard as just that. I appreciate your effort to bring this subject up in a comics podcast after recent issues about women in gaming, harassment of cosplayers, minority characters in the Star Wars universe, aha, etc. The internet can be rough when you take a position. Send my thanks to Donovan Morgan Grant and tell him I'm waiting for the next Gotham installment with him and Josh Michael Ridge. Uh, thank you so much, Michael, for writing in and, I mean, despite you being white, I do appreciate everyone's insight and, you know, you being around for a while, it's great that you've seen sort of this arc and the change because, you know, I can only look back 20 years uh, and, and it seems like a lot's changed, but I feel like you have really seen a lot change. So I, I appreciate getting your insight into this. Next, uh, still on the Minority Report, we have Brian. Hey, Stella and Donovan. My internet name is the 108th Sage, and I recently heard a promo for a project y'all are doing about diversity in comics. And being a recently out gender queer person, I thought I'd toss in my two cents if it's not too late. It did say early 2016. So, anywho. When I finally admitted to myself that I'm not a guy, and while I might be a girl stuck in a guy's body, I'm certainly so socialized as a guy that I don't really qualify as either gender, thus genderqueer, I realized it was how I connected to two characters from comics as a youth that were important factors in me finally listening to my inner voice. The first was Cloud from Marvel's New Defenders, which I was reading when I was 8 to 9 years old. She was able to switch her sex slash gender at will and still loved Moondragon, a woman, in either form. Feminine pronoun used because she started as a girl, and that was how I identified her with her. Cloud was the first time I ever encountered the idea that sex slash gender were not absolute, and it was possible, at least by comic book logic, to change the sex you started out as, and that sexual attraction was not tied irrevocably to what your genitalia looked like, etc. All of these were amazing, revelatory, and very reassuring for a boy who didn't identify as a boy inside who was being raised in a conservative Christian household. My parents just voted for Ben Carson in the GOP primary, if that tells you anything, and who thus took a very dim view of sexual deviance like I was afraid I must be. Of course, it was perverse literature like that that caused my mom to, upon reading brochure about the sins of the comic industry, force me to sell almost all of my comics. I managed to convince her that Power Pack was okay by studiously not showing her the ones where they worked to stop polluters and thus save the environment or the Inferno crossover, etc. This happened when I was about 12 if I recall correctly, and it wasn't until I got a job and a license that I was able to start buying comics again. But this time around, I was getting into Vertigo, just as it was beginning, and so thus I came across Lord Fanny from The Invisibles. Lord Fanny was born as a boy, but was raised as a girl in a family of witches and practiced feminine magic, as well as dressed like a woman, and this also caused me to begin to reassess what I'd eternalized about how my feelings about my gender weren't valid or real or echoed in many other people, etc. 
This was also during my early college days when I was first meeting and befriending out gays and lesbians and was finally confirming that despite all the gay stereotypes that I fit, I wasn't actually gay or even particularly bisexual and started in just at the time identifying myself as a lesbian in a man's body. It wasn't until years later that I finally consciously accepted that about myself rather than continuing to disallow or discount certain feelings I had, but reading, identifying with, and loving those characters when I did were two important touchstones in that process. Sorry if that was a bit too much of a ramble, and I hope I got this in time to be useful for the project. 108. And then he attaches a couple images. One is from New Defenders 140 showing cloud swapping body types and talking about her feelings for Moondragon, and the other is from The Invisibles Volume 1, number 15, showing Lord Fanny as a child speaking to one of the old gods of her people because I, I wasn't familiar with them. So I, I'm glad that he, he did that. So 108, let me tell you, and, and I wrote back to him, but I do have to say that I, besides, you know, honestly wanting someone of the LGB grouping to talk with on my diversity podcast, I also was really hoping for someone who was gender queer or transgender and unfortunately you know no one came through at that time so i i was very appreciative uh to 108 to um write in and and talk about you know representation to a certain extent and two characters i think i'm i'm hoping you know there will be more and and i think we've started to see potentially more i at least think about alicia Yao in in Batgirl, but you know hopefully there will be better representation and more representation there but just what a great story that you know even when you were younger there were these two characters uh, characters that I'm I am not aware of but it's great that one's from a big company and then one's from sort of a, a startup and smaller one so thank you 108 aka Brian for writing in I do appreciate the time it took as well as enlightening me as well as, um, I'm sure, my audience. Still coming from the Minority Report. This is from Doug. He says, Stella, another great episode. Definitely worth the five hours. As a white male, it's good to see a variety of character types. After listening to the episode, there are two characters that represent what I think the episode talked about really well. The first one is Agent May from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Not only is she female and Asian, she is also older in age. Older women tend to get pushed to the side of their younger counterparts. I like that she doesn't fall into typical Asian tropes. They do address her heritage some with her father in one episode. Her race has no real bearing on the character. She could easily have been played by a woman of another race and younger. I've always been a big Ming-Na Wen fan, so I'm happy to see her in this role. Another character is Michael Holt on Arrow. Him being African-American and gay does not affect his character development. Again, he could have been played by any other race and sexuality. I honestly hope he replaces Felicity on Team Arrow. Finally, I would like to say that I love how characters such as Felicity, Gemma Simmons on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Caitlin Snow on The Flash are portraying women in the field of science. It's good to see women be more than just the damsel in distress or only the love interest of the hero, especially in the field of science, which historically has been dominated by men. Looking forward to the next episode. Yeah, you touch on something really good because... I don't think we, we necessarily see too many brainy women, though now I'm like running through and I'm like, well, there's Bones, which is interesting, which we didn't talk about Bones because she's certainly on the um, autistic or Asperger scale, which which I don't think there's a lot of representation at all for that. Though there was, aha, the bridge, if you've ever watched that, the weed has a, a bit of Asperger's there as well. 
but anyways, back to the science thing. That's, you know, something I love about Babs, right? Is that she may be paralyzed, but, you know, just looking at someone, you don't tell their strengths just from looking at them. And I think she's, she's sort of an underdog and she is underestimated and she's always been underestimated, which is why I love her because she proves them wrong. And I think she's just got just this great sense of perseverance and in a fight in her and so you know she has this this intellect and i think you know there are some people who can kick and are are people who can get knocked out which we we've seen with other characters but yeah we've got the the brains as well which which i think is great and i also have to say that the walking dead is such a great character study and I don't think I necessarily, I, I remember mentioning Glenn and, and I think, you know, some of the gay characters on there, or I guess the two or three, uh, when we were talking about this. But, you know, the women on there are so interesting because there are some that, like, you get annoyed with, like, why are you doing this? It's really dumb. But then there are other ones who, and I have to say, like, Kara, who was an abused housewife, and to see her character arc and how strong she has become and just the way she, and even, you know, the actress works her character and how she can change is great and i think we're seeing that now with alicia in fear the walking dead uh just becoming capable and strong in this world and and being able to change who you are to suit this new apocalyptic situation i think is really great and i think a lot of characters and, and women in particular are being defined by this because men i think I think they, they change in a different way, but I, I, I think women may have to undergo more dynamic change in that particular universe. So thanks again. And my last one is actually from my good friend, Jacob Sawyer. So he says, hi, Stella. I just finished Minority Report and it was incredibly eye-opening. Thanks to you and Don for taking the time to have this very important discussion. You had an atheist viewer discuss how atheists are portrayed on TV and films, and I thought I'd write in and ask you what you think about how Christians are portrayed. I personally don't think Christians are portrayed well at all. There are some seriously underwhelming, cheesy, and badly written Christian films that have been made. I think a few good ones that stand out are Facing the Giants, Soul Surfer, and War Room, films that do not try to depict Christians as lofty, aloof individuals who have all the answers, but instead depict the gritty, real-life struggles of ordinary people. I can appreciate stand-up comedy, but all too often we see Christianity targeted by comedians and the media in general as homophobic, socially inept, and hateful. Many religions are viewed as a strength, like in certain martial art films where protagonists derive their focus from and hone their abilities by using Buddhist and Taoist practices. However, many times we see Christianity portrayed as a weakness. For example, in The Walking Dead, Father Gabriel is portrayed as a timid character who is afraid to kill walkers, and his faith in God is made to appear misplaced because of all the hardship the characters face. Eventually, there's a good moment in the mid-season premiere of Season 6 where the citizens of Alexandria fight the walkers, and Gabriel is able to to claim God's salvation because God has given us strength. Overall, though, I'd say the portrayal of Christians is fairly poor. Do you have any thoughts? Fly on Jacob. And he actually gave me a clip, which maybe I'll put in here, <laughs> from SNL so we can you can hear that. Beth was a small-town baker without a care. Hi there. I'd like to order a wedding cake. Of course. Where's the lucky bride? He's right here. Until her faith was tested. Now make the cake. They wanted her to spit in the face of God. 
I said make the cake. I can't do it. From the makers of God on the Run and Angel in Denim, the Kim Davis story. What are you thinking? Gays are the most powerful force in America. A story of liberal elites run wild. You'll be hearing from our Jewish lawyer. My name is Shmuel from the ACLU. You're in a lot of trouble, Beth. What do you people want from me? My clients just need you to say three simple words. God is gay. But he's not gay. God is as straight as they come. Then I guess we'll be seeing you in court. This is my fight song. Take back my life song. In a time of persecution. Court is now in session. Gays are trying to force their agenda. They're even teaching it in school. Only she had the courage to say. They say we're bigots, but Christians are the most oppressed group in this country. Maybe. But I'm going to prove once and for all that God is straight. If God is gay, then why aren't there any gay priests? Miss Walsh, you are on thin ice. You know God is gay. Just admit it. No. She needed an ally. Governor, we are the poorest state in the country, second in obesity, third in teen pregnancy. We have to do something. Well, hold that thought. What's wrong, ma'am? I want to deny basic goods and services to gay people. Everybody out. This is the priority now. Last chance, Miss Walsh. Let's hear it. God is... I am glad that you uh, you wrote in Jacob and I you know we had a, a short conversation about it as well and again you know the fact that we did have our our atheist point of view it made me want to go back and like you know I regretted not talking about my Christian perspective but I think sort of the normal way to for anyone to write any character is to have them devoid of religion they are either a good human being you know they have some ideas of morals and ethics they know what's right and wrong there's not necessarily a larger force guiding them and so once you get off of that there's really no in between they they i think you know if you've got the atheist character then they seem crazy or bad and if you have the christian character they seem hateful and i don't know cultish or i i think mostly i see really hateful ones who are telling you that you're going to burn in hell uh for things that you're doing so it's you know i i've not really seen any good christian portrayals and um this is twofold number one and and this is really restating what you said because we're sort of of the same mind here number one we're just not portrayed well. I, I think people have this particular idea of who a Christian is, that Christians hate everything that is not in the Bible. But that's, you know, that's not what, you know, we are about. It, it's, you know, the Bible and God is love. And so just like I was trying to preach, you know, it, to use that word in Minority Report, my goal in life is to love all individuals and to show tolerance and love no matter who you are or what you are, you know, unfortunately, uh, people 
like the ones that you may see on campuses, uh, like the ones you may see at San Diego Comic-Con, who are damning you to hell, they give us a bad rap. Because that's like extreme, extreme. That's It's not the way to go about and do evangelism. That That is not the way. And uh, I apologize, you know, if that is your experience of a Christian and that is your idea of them, because that is not uh, who we should be and not who um, I profess to be. Uh, so that's unfortunately the real world is affecting portrayals. And so for the most part, I mean, I, I feel like there's countless law and orders where you know something has happened and and like the character's like god tell me to do it i mean you have at least seen one of those and it's you know of course they're uh stapler and benson are probably looking at them like they're crazy so unfortunately real life is impacting portrayals uh the other thing is that the movies are not written well you know it, it's partially about the portrayal but it's partially about you know the writing and, and the filming and everything uh like i said you know there are some like lgbt movies out there that are just bad and it's bad because like it seems unrealistic uh with what's going on and i think that's true of anything you know you could take um like an asian film or a korean film or something like that or a martial arts film and you're like well this is bad uh so you know i've seen i've heard unfortunately bad things about um god is dead just that it seems highly unrealistic uh over the top and extreme to sort of put put it across and i think that leaves a bad taste in people's mouths and doesn't give a good image of you know what it is i recently saw risen which i recommend and I guess, you know, there's a bit of a question at the end of that. But, you know, if you are against Christianity, then, you know, I don't know if you're going to want to see this. But it's basically following a Roman soldier and he has to find the body of Jesus. And it's in his perspective, right? So it's not like Bible and Jesus thrown at you, but it's done so well because he, he sees Jesus again. And it's using scriptures legitimately it's not over the top it's not unrealistic it's like it's a down-to-earth um portrayal i think of jesus and you know what a soldier could have been encountering at the time and of course he's dealing with doubt he's a roman soldier for goodness sake so he's dealing with his doubts and everything and uh it, it leaves it with um sort of a hopeful message but it's a little ambiguous just because at the very end you know he's narrating the story and the person to whom he is narrating asks do you believe, you know, with with everything that had happened? Because of course, um, the ascension happens, and then and then he goes back to I guess his normal everyday business to a certain extent. And he says, "I don't know, but I know I'll never be the same again." And I thought, you know, that's a, a realistic ending. Uh, not everyone, I think, can be transformed like Saul, aka Paul, was. So of course, you know, there's going to be some doubt there and you know you've dealt with something for all of your life and then something has changed it you're going to have some problems uh potentially letting that go so anyways that's an example i think of something that was well done but now you know people are i mean i think of like noah which like all of a sudden brought a bunch of battles and stuff in that weren't you know portrayed in the bible they just had like it's not gods of egypt but they did that like new um moses film uh with Christian Bale. I'm trying to think. I mean, it's all about like the drama. So unfortunately, I, I don't really see a lot of good stuff. And, you know, I've seen Soul Surfer, 
when the game's sent all, I, I think there's a bit of a, a, a Christian thread that goes through there. I haven't seen War Room, but honestly, like, because of the Christian films that I've seen that are not as good, it sort of turns me off from seeing these other ones because I'm, like, super scared of, like, oh, my gosh, what is this going to be like, uh, which is a bit of a bummer. So, you know, I think in general, I think any religious thoughts, any religious characteristics or attitudes are not portrayed well uh, because there's no, it's like an extreme. It's either very bad or very good and there's nothing in between and people don't understand how to deal with it. So I think that's symptomatic of all religions, it seems. I, I probably would have to watch many more uh, films, especially with, you know, you mentioning martial arts films and things like that. Uh, but yeah, so I'm glad, you know, Jacob, thanks for writing in and guess it was good also to get my thoughts off my chest as well next now we're moving on to episode 117 first up from ian miller he says wonderful episode stella i really enjoy your banter with shag though i think mr morgan grant provides a deeper social commentary i must take issue with shag's comparison of Raz al ghul to trump not because i want in any way to defend trump but because i don't think trump in any way resembles the elegance planning careful thought and finally honed malice of Raz. it's like comparing a razor with a hammer both can be equally destructive but in different ways and i say this as a diehard conservative though not primarily a republican so there shag I was interested to hear about this 90s crossover. I thought the story about Oracle sounded pretty cool, if a bit stereotypical. After the showcase story about her fighting someone in her own home, I wish more people caught on more quickly about the types of stories you could tell with Oracle, like Ostrander did with Oracle Year One and Suicide Squad. But Birds of Prey should be starting soon. Are you collecting the new collections of the Birds of Prey trade paperbacks as they are re-released? I am not, Ian, and the reason why is this. For years, I had been attempting to find and gather all of the Birds of Prey single issues. And, you know, they were dotted about, started off randomly just looking for shipping app issues between Dick and Babs, and then it started to get more. And then finally, I found someone who had the rest of the collection. I bought it from him. And so now I have the complete run of Birds of Prey, and so I am not going to spend any more money on this. And I even have Birds of Prey, number eight. But yes, we are getting closer. But, you know, just don't pressure me. Uh, <laughs> we'll get there, though, I promise. Next up from 117, from Clinton Robeson. Ah, isn't everything quieter with Shag? I mean, he's just so shy and never has silly things to say or shows to plug. I mean, come on, so give the guy a chance to say something once in a while. Okay, seriously, this was another really great episode. I'm so glad somebody had the nerve to dive in and cover, at least briefly, the Underworld Unleashed crossover. It happened right about the time I was giving up on 90% of my favorite comics, so I only picked up a few of the tie-in issues later on, and sadly, the bad ones. I had never heard of Brotherhood of the Bat before. The title alone made it sound interesting. Shag is right. Yes, that's one of his favorite phrases, so I'm sure he's smiling now. About the Elseworlds books all being Batman-centric and losing a lot of the readability by this point. As wonderful as the concept was and still is, the fact remains that without a good story to tell, the idea is pointless. Tim is not your favorite Robin? <gasps> I'm not sure how to take this utterly depressing news. I know we are a few years off at this point in the overall Babs timeline, but do you plan to cover the 1998 one-shot girl frenzy Batgirl? Yes, I will cover that one-shot, and yes! Damien is my favorite Robin, and I know that people despise him, and I myself also despise Damien. You know who brought him around for me? Stephanie Brown. She can turn anyone from a sad waffle 
into an amazing person. So yes, Damien is my favorite Robin. I don't think that will change unless like Barbara Gordon becomes Robin. Yeah, there you go. Thank you for writing in, Clinton. From Ian Clark, thanks for the thoughtful reply regarding forming my own opinion on the early new 52 issues of Batgirl. Do you have any recommendations for the best Batgirl stories? This, listen up, Ian. This is what you need to read. Batgirl Year One by Chuck Dixon and Scott Beatty. It is the quintessential Barbara Gordon story. And I have not steered anyone wrong with this. I don't think I've heard any overall negative. I mean, there are some moments where you're like, ah, didn't need nine issues, that sort of thing. But it's an amazing story. Wonderful, beautiful arc by Marcos Martin. So you need to pick that up. And they recently, like this past year or past two years, reprinted it with Robin Year One. So just pick up that trade or find the single issues, whatever. But that is a thing that I think you should read. And my last email is from Jeanette Chung. And Jeanette... I believe, you know, not to embarrass her, but I think she has a crush, a little crush on Donovan Morgan Grant. I won't be jealous, but there we go. So she says, hi, Stella. I loved hearing you and Chris Carnes talking about pop culture a few episodes ago. And I remember you mentioning Civil War as one of your topics. Did the movie meet your expectations? And more importantly, did you like Spider-Man? Sincerely, Jeanette. Well, Jeanette, I really enjoyed Civil War. I'm not going to spoil, I think, all of my thoughts, but you can listen to comic book film review where we're going to do that this month but i really enjoyed it now some downsides are that i guess i'll start with the negative uh it wasn't a captain america movie it was more of an adventurous film i guess that's the only downside i'll say for right now before i answer your second question but there were so many pieces the this differs so much from Batman vs. Superman. It's interesting because there's so many pieces in Batman vs. Superman, but it was like a puzzle that you weren't finding the right pieces to go together. This one, everything really matched up, and it was so layered, and pieces uh, went together as well as adding new dimension to other pieces. Uh, we got to see more of characters that I wanted to, like Sharon Carter. We got more of an emotional journey with Bucky and Cap. I think, you know, one of my problems once this was released and they're like, and this person's in it, and this person's like, oh, this is going to be too big, there are too many people. And I think that's still a bit of a problem. It would have been nice to just focus on uh, Cap and Bucky and, and move forward and do something with Baron Zemo there. But, you know, you've got the, the Civil War storyline, so I guess that's what it is. There's some shipping, which I love. Black Panther was amazing. Let me tell you something, though. I did not like Spider-Man. I'm very cold right now. To Tom Holland, very frigid, and uh, there, are, I just felt like um, we're sort of like rock star. It's like Ultimate Spider-Man, you know. If it's it, if it was explained to me that it was going to be Ultimate Spider-Man sort of thing, maybe I could have gone along with it. But I don't think they're playing it that way. But you know, he's got his rock star mom, who's not really his mom, but certainly looks like his mom. I just don't think this was the place to start his origin story. I don't like that he is reliant on Tony for, you know, his tech, where I feel, I mean, he does his own web shooters, so I can't he do stuff on his own, make his own costume, that sort of thing. I, I just don't like him uh, being brought in here. I felt like every scene that he was in was distracting from the actual overall story, um, and I would have rather have saved him for the actual movie. So right now I'm very cold on this particular incarnation of Spider-Man. And uh, I am, as this is, I'm recording right now, May 10th. This, I've only seen it once. I'm going to see it 
again next week, so maybe my opinion will change. Who knows? But I will reserve final judgment, and it may be a harsh judgment, until or for homecoming when that comes out. Well, that is it for listener emails. Thank you for everyone who wrote in. I very much appreciate your, the time that you put into there, uh, into your emails and comments and things, as well as trusting me with your personal insights and history. Remember, you can always write in at backgirl2oracle at gmail.com, and you can post on the website, thebatmanuniverse.net, and go to whatever episode that you are wanting to talk about. And that is it for the listener emails. When Ed and I come back, we are going to review Batgirl number 50 and 51 and Gotham Academy number 17. But first, we have Zias's Radio Hour featuring Dangerous by Big Data and featuring Joy Wave. <laughs> It's like I know
Welcome back. We are now going to talk about these modern issues here. And we're rounding out Batgirl's run with, of course, you know, the dream team of Brendan Fletcher, Cameron Stewart, and Babs Tarr. And so one of the questions you should keep in the back of your mind is, uh, are we ending in a good place? Does it seem like worthwhile stories to be told at the end? Mm-hmm. So we're going to first do Batgirl 50, which was a bit oversized. And it is wrapping up the Fugue storyline. So there are two different stories we're going to talk about. So Batgirl number 50 is entitled Open Mind. Writers Brendan Fletcher and Cameron Stewart. Artists Babs Tarr and Roger Robinson. John Timms, Eleonora Carlini, and James Harvey. And Breakdowns Cameron Stewart. Colors Sergey Lapointe, Lee Lawfridge, and James Harvey. So three hours from now, we see the Fugue shooting Batgirl. Bam. There's the killing joke flashback we were yeah. looking for. Yep. Uh, now, the Fugue lays out his plan to dagger type the Jawbreakers, Velvet Tiger, their shout out to Martin Gray, and Corporal Punishment. He offers the end of Batgirl to any of them, and Velvet Tiger believes she deserves that honor until the fugue messes with her mind and resumes the leadership role. Meanwhile, Batgirl, being of sound mind and body, relates what she recalls of the plan to her crew, including Black Canary, Bluebird, and Spoiler. It seems that Fugue plans to use the Negahedron to enhance his powers and signal and brainwash many citizens to meet at a bridge and then blow that bridge, killing thousands. Each of the Fugue's minions will hit different points in the city to set up a pylon, which will boost the signal, and Batgirl's minions go off to face them. So we have a series of, I don't know, Street Fighter or Marvel versus Capcom-esque fighting cards. It totally uh, <laughs> We've got Bluebird versus Killer Moth, Spoiler versus the Jawbreakers, Spoiler and Bluebird, and later Operator in a Bat Robot versus Corporal Punishment, and then Black Canary versus Velvet Tiger. As all of this is occurring, the signal begins and people actually start flocking to the bridge. Batgirl and the others try to get the people off the bridge, and an explosion in another part of town occurs, and the people start blaming Barbara Gordon. During the fight, Velvet Tiger remembers that she was manipulated and tells Batgirl that the fugue will be at a particular bank. Dagger-type tries to take Batgirl out, but he is easily dealt with. Batgirl then approaches Fugue while he is making the biggest robbery of his career, which I guess that was the point of all this, (laughs) and he begins to mess with her mind again. She realizes that the chip that's implanted to help her walk again is the problem, and she actually digs it out with a battering, probably the most violent thing I've seen in this book, and then collapses. She has enough mobility to make one last attack on Fugue, but he shoots her, or does he? It seems Batgirl uses his tech against him and erases her his memory, sending him off to jail in one of those pneumatic tubes like you see at the bank. The Batbot picks Batgirl up and later on Frankie restores the chip and her mobility. Later we start to see things get back to normal and Barbara continues her company, Gordon Clean Energy, a.k.a. GCE, with her good name now restored. Frankie brings Babs down to the company's basement where she has created a lair for her costume and accoutrements and she says that the future is shining bright like a diamond as everyone hears the Rihanna song playing in the background. Shine bright like a diamond Shine bright like a diamond Okay. So this is the end of the Fugue storyline and 
the mind melding and craziness that has gone on. So how do you feel like this issue wraps up the story? And then as another big question, what do you think about the story overall? I think that a couple things are good here. One, I think the page count is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this would have been tough to wrap up the way they did it with a regular page count. Um, the story gets wrapped up. I like the kind of back and forth play with, you know, who's messing with whose mind mm-hmm. type deal. Uh, and I think it was important for this creative team to wrap up, to really wrap up, up the story. I don't think we would have wanted um, a dun, 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 dun. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, uh, this is because this is the last issue with everybody on it before because Cameron stays on. But then the rest of them are gone after this issue, if I read them right. So this is like the end of the creative team. And I think this was their opportunity to wrap up the, the, the storyline, the Fugue storyline and some other stuff they've been playing with. Um, I think they did pretty well uh, for wrapping up. If you're talking about just wrapping up the Fugue storyline, mm-hmm. um, it leaves you with with a few questions, which I think he you know, did the killing joke happen or not, you know, right um, out there still. That mm-hmm. doesn't get answered. I don't think that they would let answer that. I mean, I think, well, let me rephrase that. I think the only way editorial lets them answer that question is if they answer it in the affirmative, right? Right. I don't think they're going to let them throw out the killing joke. I just don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm not saying they shouldn't, but I'm just saying I don't think they would let them do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we have some very little open-ended, but I think for the most part we get we get a conclusion of the story that is something I can tolerate. <laughs> Something you can tolerate. Yeah. I guess, you know, no better words have been said <laughs> than the, just that. Yeah, so this has been a pretty interesting story, uh, mainly because you didn't know really what you could trust with, you know, her memories and everything. And you were also wondering, how is this going to end up? Because, I mean, is someone losing their mind and someone like Barbara Gordon losing her mind is... Uh, a really scary thing. <laughs> yes. And I, and I, I was wondering if at the end of this, like we were going to get a completely different character and like, it was a literal reboot, you know, starting off like tabula rasa, this new Barbara Gordon, here she is trying All to in her memory. Yeah. And then, you know, in the back of my mind, I also thought about Digibabs, which I'm so glad that they addressed her and brought her back and, and everything. It's, it's interesting. I think it wraps up wonderfully. I think there are still some questions that have yet to be answered. Like, for instance, how the fugue, who, who was just a plumber, how he was able to get this technology and and do all of this. And I, I still, I wonder if there is this connection because of all the, you know, the villains and stuff. Like, Velvet Tiger clearly would have the capability of either giving him the tech or helping him create it. But I just wonder how he came to be because we sort of had the plumber and his relationship with Batgirl, but then there's this gap year because he's in jail and then he comes back. And I realized, you know, it all makes sense that, you know, the best currency in the world is information. So I think, you know, such a, a powerful motivator because it's totally like Littlefinger, you know? And oh, sure. Notes. So he's, he's obviously a, a pretty intense villain, but I think there are still some pieces of his history that I'd, I'd like to, to find out. Now, do you think that with the change in creative teams coming up and the rebirth and all that, do you think we'll ever revisit this part era of of Batgirl again, or do you think it'll just be move on? I'm hoping so. I mean, how long can you stay in a foreign country? I mean, even Dick Grayson, I mean, he went off, you know, obviously, but he was going to come back, right? Well, from the Chicago Times. I would hope that this the 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 trip overseas is just like a six issue arc, mm-hmm. maybe, and she comes back. Yeah. My fear is one of the fears I have is that when they bring her back, 
I don't mind if they take six issues to go explore the world. I can deal with that, right? right. Mm-hmm. But if they come back not to this world, like she just comes back to Gotham, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Then I think that's where I would get upset. Does that make sense? Like it does, yeah. Like, like I can deal with. I don't love the idea of like her. The we're gonna go power up as a superhero. I'm not even sure what that means, right? But level up. Sorry, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure what that means. And it might like I don't want to prejudge it. It may be awesome, mm-hmm. right? So I don't mm-hmm. want to. I mean, I'm definitely gonna read it. So it might be great. So I'm keeping my mind open for it. And I'm cool with the sidestep, but let's come back here when we're done, right? Right, like, yeah. If you want to take off, let's go do some exploring, hang out with Katana, cool, awesome, but let's come back here. Because I think the real, you know, like you're talking about, where did the feud get his powers from? He was, he's like Joe the plumber, now he's like this guy. Yeah. You know, if we never explore this, that would be a loss to me. Mm-hmm. If it just, if it's just like, well, it happened and we never get back to it, that would be, be a loss. Um, yeah. The, the other thing that I think was really kind of crazy about this issue, and I got to bring this up super fast. In Gotham City, those Batman mech suits, could they just let you check them out like a library? Well, you know? yeah. I think, well, she hacked in. And remember, she said, I hope they don't, they were busy. I hope they don't miss this one. So I think this is, do you think this is happening maybe the same time as Bloom, the Bloom and, you know, when all the bat suits went out? It, when it, Jerry sent them out? It, it could be, except the fact that they, and I can accept that for the, the storyline, but they're sloppy with things. Jim took one to Afghanistan. Like, <laughs> Yeah. You know, like, yep. who's watching these? I mean, clearly no my one. My car's got a GPS tracker on it. It's worth like 15 grand. Like, yeah. <laughs> come on. You know, I mean, I don't know. I just, I thought it was fun for the story, for having mm-hmm. her in it, right? And it, she needed to have some kind of something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it was when I saw it first happen, I'm like, who's watching these things? You know, I mean, yeah. So sorry I had to get off that tangent. That's okay. I mean, it's completely uh, legitimate. What do you think about the other villains? That uh, the few chooses to associate with him. Do you see this as a, a, a greatest hits of this particular run, or do you see it more as you know characters that have a history with Barbara Gordon? I think it's both of those things, and I'm okay with that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I think it is the greatest hits of the run, but I also think that all these characters have a legitimate beef with with Barbara slash Batgirl. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't mind these kind of celebratory issues. Like, we're leaving, and here's all the cool stuff we gave you. Like, I'm cool with that. Like, I've really enjoyed it. Now, if I hated the run, I might be like, i got to see these people again. But since I've enjoyed the run, I don't mind them kind of doing a little bit of both, you know? Mm-hmm. Bring them all back. Right. I like the fact that we kind of get the little square off. Um, like you said, the little Capcom, the Marvel versus DC or, what, you know, whatever, the those fighting <laughs> cards. Yeah. Right? Although they don't make sense in terms of the story. They're kind of cool to look at. You know, I, oh, absolutely, I'll, yeah. I'll admit, I'm like, oh, okay, so spoiler versus, like, oh, I'm getting it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you nailed it on what it is, but I think I'm totally cool with it, if that yeah. makes any sense. You know, like, yeah, they're doing it, and it's cool because I've enjoyed the run, so bring them all back. Let's have a good time with it. Yeah. I think the only one that uh, seems a little random is Corporal Punishment, just because she was so recent, and yeah, she was sure. taken down, and really it was only, um, she has less of a history with Barbara Gordon than she does with, well, I guess she was there in the police station, but it was like Stephanie Brown was the one who was punching her, and then um, Harper took her out. But yeah, it's interesting to see people, and then Dagger type, of course, pops up again, and he's taken down very quickly. But Velvet well, Tiger, I think, was the one that I was uh, focusing on. I do, too. And with the Stephanie stuff, with corporal punishment, and stuff, I wonder if that's just guilty by association, you know? like. Mm-hmm. You guys are all together. We're bringing out, you know. Yeah. Um, um, everybody. I, I did like the Velvet Tiger in it though. Um, yeah. Because she has a, she has a serious problem with Barbara. You know. Um, right. Yeah. With Barbara, and and that, and that seems like not a contrived 
rivalry or mm-hmm. you know you know what I'm saying like you look at those characters you go no, I can get why she wouldn't be too fond of Barbara you know like mm-hmm. she's the bad guy but Absolutely. you can understand that the reasons are legitimate in her point of view mm-hmm. you know um, it's not like sometimes we have one dimensional like he's a psycho killer he likes to kill people it's like okay, I, I get it. He likes to kill people, but why is he trying to kill this person? <laughs> you right. know, like what did what did this person do? Well, they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's like mm-hmm. oh, that's lazy. But this, though, she has a legitimate beef, and it's and it's, it's something that we've built up over the. I mean, how many issues since Velvet Tiger versus has been in the book now? Just wasn't she just in two? It was like a two to three two. issue. Two Sorry, or three yeah. issues. Yeah, yeah, and that was what six or seven months ago. Yeah. She feels and it wasn't like she, a satisfying ending, which someone, no. made, someone made a joke about, like, you got hit with the motorcycle. You want to get hit with one again? And that was yeah. totally how she was taken out. It was. But, yeah. yeah. Um, but I liked her here. Yeah. Um, and this is a part where we talk about coming back to, to well, I guess, back to Burnside mm-hmm. after she does whatever she does. I hope that some of this stuff that this creative team has kind of set the table up with. Mm-hmm is still here to be played with when we get back. Right. Yeah, because if you think about it, if she's going over to Japan, these are anything that happens over there is going to be wholly unique to Japan and also new villains. So yeah, I, it's going to be so new. So, I mean, if, if you want to have, like, some status quo, she's got to come back to where she's been set up for a while. Now, do you know this? I, I, I don't know this. Hopefully you know this. Will Batgirl and the Birds of Prey happen overseas as well? Or is that Burnside? I don't think. There's like no, I am not sure what the continuity is with that. Hmm. And where they're happening. That would be, I guess you could do it where like her overseas adventure took two weeks and then, I don't know. I don't know. That's going to be tough. It may be like a Wolverine situation where like he just is in multiple books and he's just doing Doing multiple stuff. Yeah. But Um, I don't know if I can see Black Canary and Helena being over in Japan. Yeah, I'd have to have a pretty good reason why they were there. Yeah. You know, um, I can't imagine just saying, hey, we're going to go, you know, over here for whatever reason. Um, but I just hope that, that they don't unset the table. Mm-hmm. You know, like, if we come back and spoilers gone and everyone's gone, you know, mm-hmm. that would be just super disappointing. It would be. Uh, what do you think about Babs digging the chip out? Man, that was... Like at first, I'm like, "What is she doing?" Like, yeah. This is, I'm like, "I'm like, is she committing suicide?" You know, like, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah. What? Then I'm like, "Oh, that's like from a narrative point of view, it makes sense, uh, right?" So, yeah. Like I'm like, "Okay, I get it," but it's pretty hardcore. I mean, that's I've never dug a chip out of my spine before, but no. I can and imagine it's worse. Being I've seen in like I'm sure you have too in like movies and TV, like digging something out, like a locator chip or something in your wrist or your arm. Right. But it seems like even more severe being connected to your spinal column. Well, and the consequences are far more severe. Right. Yeah. Like if you slip on your arm, worst case scenario probably is you need stitches. Mm-hmm. Right? Painful we need stitches. You slip on your neck, worst case scenario I would think would be paralysis. Right. You know, or death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm not a doctor, but I mean this seems to be where it would be going for me. Um mm-hmm. I get it. It made sense, and I know that they were trying to show at this point, like the determination factor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I get it, and it and it plays well, but it was a little like, whoa, is she? She's yeah, she's using a battering dig in her neck. That's that's what's happening here, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, so I um, I liked it, but I think it could have easily been done with. Uh, she could have reprogrammed it with something on her wrist, or you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, 
But they, they, they went there. They had they her did. use a battery and dig it out of her. her yep. Bag. Final question. What do you think about Barbara Gordon with the company underneath her? I have a semi-problem with it. Okay. Not that it's – and this is, this is something I want to make quick. It's not that they've done it poorly. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not that they've told me a bad story. But it's a little bit – it's a little kind of um, superhero tropey to me. Like how many superheroes are now the head of a major company? It seems like it happens a lot. Yeah. You know? I mean, Luke Fox was the head of a company. Luke was one. Uh, Batman was one. Uh, Green Arrow was one. Uh, Ray Palmer is one. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Uh, it does, like, it's not that the world they put her in is is bad. And mm-hmm. they filled it full of characters that I like, right? I just wish that it was maybe Luke's company and she, because how many major corporate, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. Maybe it was Luke's company and she was a vice president of it, or it was any, or it was a division of Wayne Enterprises and she works there. I just, it's just a little tropey that they're all super business people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and it's also impossible to believe that a startup company that would be in that type of like cash capital mode, here's my real job coming into play, mm-hmm. um, like this kind of, you know, it's going to probably have capital calls, going to be doing investment things. The idea that she could leave for any real amount of time is farcical. You know, like, yeah. You just a bunch of investors show up to a company, especially uh, you know clean energy, which is you know a, a new technology company where the whole thing is going to be based on the dreams of the person at the top of it and their ideas, right? And if you come in to put a cash cash call in and they're gone, that's not going to work out well for you. Now they might deal with that in the story, right? Like mm-hmm. that might that might be dealt with, and if, and that's and if they got a plan for it, like okay, it's going to be this whole story about how her friends got to keep everything together because she just walks out on. Okay, I could buy that. It's cool the way they do it. Like I said, it's not poorly wrote, but I just felt like, oh, it's superhero head of a company. I've seen that before. Plus, yeah. it's Barbara. I mean, she's been a congresswoman before. She's been a librarian, but we've never seen her as like the businesswoman. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a radical departure. So with your history, what do you what do you think about it? To a certain extent, it seems like it's in line with her character. Uh, she was a congresswoman. She lost her seat. Then she was working for sort of a humanities company. So, you know, yeah. having this company or working for it anyways, that that deals with energy and helping people, I can totally see it. Her being at the top rung of the ladder is interesting. And it, it feels almost Peter Parker-esque because right now he's like some – I think he's actually in Japan. I could be wrong. But he has like his own company uh, over in Spider-Man. Uh, yeah. And it just seems like it limits the possibility. Like that's going to be your job. You're going to be, you know, if you're the CEO or the, the founder or whatever, that's your job. So how can you really superhero around? Yes, how can you superhero around? Cannot. And so I, I wish that, you know, there was something else that she could be doing. Or, you know, she starts the company, but then she, she drops it off and gives it to somebody else, which she kind of does in the next one. But I thought the whole point was to have a partnership. But now it's, you know, Gordon Clean Energy. And so, it just, it, you know, in, in a city where the city next door is Gotham. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And Jim is the police commissioner. It just doesn't I don't know. Like a lot of this is like I mean, so she's running a company, that means her dad's gonna have to be dealing with some of it too. You know what I'm saying? I mean, mm-hmm. cause she'd be a public figure and then he's recently the commissioner again and he's kinda got thrown out of office for a reason. Right. You know, I mean I just like I said, it's not that it's done poorly. I think the idea of what she's doing as far as helping the environment and something like that makes perfect sense, mm-hmm. right? Like she's 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 the type of person like we saw with the congresswoman days that was always crusading for good in and out of the costume, right? Mm-hmm. So that totally I, I can totally buy that 100%. It's just like you said it just 
this doesn't feel if you're a CEO of a company like this, it is a ninety to hundred hour a week life. There mm-hmm. is no I mean, the the old trope of oh, I'm so exhausted that I can't do my job, it just wouldn't work. You'd be so exhausted from doing your job you wouldn't be able to fight crime. You know, like right. it just I don't know, so it doesn't I think that they're on the I think that the idea is right, like, okay, clean energy, she's with a company, Luke works there. I think all those work. I just don't think it's you know, does that make sense? You know, like it, the, all the pieces are fine, but the way they tie it together isn't just quite perfect for it. Yeah, and especially, I mean, if we were to take this issue just by itself, I think it would work better as an idea than if we know that down the road she's leaving. Yes. So just the fact that you would start your own company and then leave your own company seems a little ridiculous. Well, it, it's well, it's extremely ridiculous. Nobody would do that. Yeah. Ever. Like, they just wouldn't. That wouldn't happen. Uh, yeah. And, and if they did, they'd walk out the door and you'd go, okay, we need to impeach the secretary. Can we buy, her, can we buy out the president's stock? Right. They've lost their mind. They're, they're leaving. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, it, but that's one of those businessy things where when you see in comics, it's kind of something that irritates me a lot is it's like, that's not how it works. Like, even, even Bruce Wayne is the only one. Oliver Queen, those work because they're just rich playboys who happen to own it, but they don't run the actual company. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But Barbara is taking an everyday management role, not just an ownership role. She's right. part of the development. And yep. I just – for me, that's where it goes, okay, so you could have Rich Oliver Queen who never shows up for the job because he's not actually the functioning head of the company. He's just a guy who owns it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's why it just it just doesn't quite fit together. Yeah. So what would you give this issue out of 10 bats? 10 bats. I would give this one – and now there's going to be a little bias in here just because I feel like this is the wrapping up of this creative team, really, right? Mm-hmm. And I like the run so much that I might be giving a little – if this was just a standalone issue and we were just going back to, to the same old stuff next month, I probably wouldn't give it this high, but I'm going to give it seven and a quarter. Okay. I'm going to give it a little bit higher and say eight out of ten. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, I, I think overall it was pretty satisfying. Like I said, Fugue was uh, an interesting villain and dangerous – and I didn't know where a lot of it was going. I was very nervous. So I, I think it turned out well. And the art is, as Babs normally does, is super fun in this issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to miss her being on the book against no dis- to the new artists that are coming in. Mm-hmm. Right? But mm-hmm. she has drawn, ba- drawn Batgirl where it feels like – it feels lighter and fun just because of the tone of her art. And I'm going to miss her. I loved the little cue cards and the – uh, so her art will be commended and, and be missed, and hopefully DC will have her back in the fold on a book sometime in the near future. Yeah. Yep. So next and finally, for Batgirl anyways, for this episode, is Batgirl 51, The Gladius Offensive, Part 1. And that should sound familiar to you, Gladius anyways, from Batgirl Annual Number 3, so just keep that in mind. Writer Brennan Fletcher, artist Eleanor Carlini, and Ming-Wei Jung. And Roger Robinson, colorist Sergei Lapointe. Spoiler takes down some Gladius operatives who have stolen a SWAT vehicle full of weapons. Frankie fills Spoiler in on who they are, and when she tries to get answers from them, they seem to bite on some sort of capsule, which erases their memories. Spoiler needs more gear and meets up with the gear guru, a.k.a. Kadir in disguise. His disguise fails, and Spoiler seems to get a little crush on him. When Babs finds out Spore has been working, she gets upset because she hasn't been trained, but Frankie tells Babs it's her workload which is the problem. She tells her Gladius is back and even Dinah in Secession, <laughs> I don't even know, <laughs> is cleaning up a Gladius cell. Gladius 
commander is being transferred that night and the convoy is attacked. Batgirl tries to prevent the commander from escaping, but it's easily taken down by her and believes that her chip is malfunctioning. After a checkup, Frankie tells Babs that it's not the chip, and we can probably imply that it may actually be in Babs's mind. Babs has a moment alone with Luke and basically asks for a break until she figures her life out. Alicia comforts her, and then Babs turns the company over to Alicia. Babs then goes to the library for some research. I do wonder if it's Gotham City Public Library or a library on the campus of Gotham Academy. And there she sees Olive, and Maps suddenly appears, and then Babs whispers another rule of the superhero club and then disappears like Batman does. And at home, Babs puts a tack near Kyoto, Japan, and watches Spoiler and Bluebird on mission. Donna and Mari, a.k.a. Vixen, appear in the apartment, and they fill Babs in on what's been happening, and it appears Gladius wants revenge not only against Batgirl, but Gotham Academy as well, and all the children who got in their way to be continued. Well. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, let's see here. Uh, so, Gladius is back. Do you think that this is a good storyline and a good villain to finish this particular Batgirl run with? Uh, not really. I, I don't have a problem with it. It's not like I, I hate it. The, and the other problem is we just had an issue where we literally used everybody, mm-hmm. you know? So unless you were going to have like, well, I know we just arrested in the last issue, but we got to let them out now because mm-hmm. we got another story to tell. Right. You may not have another choice, <laughs> you know? Um, she was in the annual, number three. Um, so it's not like she's unknown to the universe. Um, I feel like they used everyone up in the last issue, so this is kind of the villain that we got. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not terrible in the book, but the overall story here kind of starts going in a way that I'm not super, you know, with her giving away the company and mm-hmm. and some of the stuff like that. It, it seems to me like this storyline is here to simply get us ready for rebirth. Right, yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't think if this team was just continuing on and, and in two months we had Batgirl number 53 coming out, mm-hmm. right? I don't feel that this would be the direction they would go. It, it was, it's kind of like the kneecapping we've talked about with Tomasi and Manipul in the past, mm-hmm. right? Like it feels like they were probably going somewhere and then DC said, oh, well, we're not you know, we're not going to do that anymore. So you got two issues, wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, clearly Gladius' story wasn't finished after Batgirl Annual 3. And the fact that the Negahedron has been such a star in you know the past three or four issues is great. So I think it's at least good that we're seeing Gladius again. But I don't like that this is the particular story to wrap up Batgirl's run with, especially because everything is, you know, besides the the villain, everything seems like it's so negative involving Barbara Gordon. Like it's all, you know, she feels like she's incapable. There's so much stuff going on. She doesn't want other people to uh, take up her legacy, even though it's necessary. She's breaking up with Luke. She's turning over. Like, it's all this bad stuff. And I'm like, what's going on? The Luke thing was like, like, what's going on here? You know, like. Yeah. That was so shocking. It was shocking. And and it was interesting because that one panel uh, where Luke and Babs almost kiss is one of the images that was seen in the large page from Batgirl 49. Right. The one with the, like the what ifs, like is this in continuity or not? Like you see those two whips. So this, ha- which again throws that, like I guess those things have happened, sort of thing. So it's interesting that this panel pops up again. To me, I think I think the thing I felt the most when I read this issue was, I felt like it was severely disjointed. Like it felt like this was a different character than the one I just read in the issue before. Mm-hmm. You know, she breaks up with Luke from out of nowhere. 
Right. Like, it seems like, and even with the kind of the word bubble thought thing, it seems like she makes the decision right then and there. Barbara's always been one of the more cerebral characters in all of comics, in DC comics especially, right? Mm-hmm. In, fact, in fact, you could argue that if she has one of the weaknesses over there, sometimes it's overthinking stuff, mm-hmm. you know, researching things too much. So this seems very, like, sudden for her, yeah. you know? I was afraid we were in for trouble before I even opened the comic. When I got it and she's sitting, you know, the cover where she's sitting on the steps and the, and the Batgirl costumes in the trash can. And yeah. I'm like, oh, this can't be good. You know, like, right. uh, what's going on here? So, yeah, I just, I don't know. The whole book, this whole issue just felt kind of like it was, um, it was broken from the last one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, it's know? very much like an Amazing Spider-Man 50 where, you know, Spider-Man no more and he, it's in the trash and he walks away or like uh, a Spider-Man 2 with uh, Tobey Maguire, you know, just like giving up on it. Uh, at least the, the, the image on the front. You know, this is not the first time Babs has undergone some sort of crisis of faith in herself. I, I think mostly back to pre-crisis after she lost her congressional seat. And then most recently you have the Nightfall Saga by Simone, which yes. caused her to actually come to Burnside in the first place. But normally, it, you know, it's beneficial for her to stay where she is or be with those who love her, you know, like Jim, who, who would um, help her out after you know, give her some good pep talks. But here she's leaving Burnside and, and for all intents and purposes, pushing people away. I mean, she's yeah. not taking anyone with her to Japan. She's going on her own. And I feel like this is not necessarily necessarily positive, and, nor is it what we've seen thus far with Barbara Gordon. No, and this is the thing, too. Like, one of the things that um, this creative team, or I guess the old the we know which creative team I'm talking about, yeah. did was... And I was really excited about this. They made Barbara have her own world where she wasn't necessarily like Batman being in it is fine. Don't get me wrong. I like the guest appearances, blah, 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 blah. Right. Mm-hmm. But you didn't have she didn't have to be part of Batman's world. She had her own world with her own villains. Yes, there were some shared characters. You know what I'm saying? But like her own villains, her own friends. She wasn't just hanging out with Dick Grayson and Damien. She had her own world. And I don't want to see them like blow up her world. Um, and I feel like that's what Barbara is attempting to do here. By just leaving the company with her friends, breaking up with her boyfriend, and leaving. Do you think it's reasonable that the Gladius commander is going all Scooby-Doo and wanting to take down some meddling kids? Those meddling kids. Key 7. Those finger-pointing villains. Would have been mine if it hadn't been for those meddling kids. Hadn't been for those meddling kids. If it wasn't for you, Snoopers. Hadn't been for those meddling kids. You've heard it time and time again. But who said it first? I did. I did. Who dares defy me? They are the villains. You don't learn this till you've been in the biz a while. See, the key is the hidden door. Ordinary people on the wrong side of justice. Oh, yes, I was groomed to be an astronaut. And then the monkey. The monkey took my rightful place! And how do they feel about Scooby and his gang? In the word? Anger. I cannot speak without my lawyer. They could have gotten away with it if it weren't for those meddling... Well, whatever. Coming up on those meddling kids. Case 8. Those meddling kids together again. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't think wholesale slaughter of children was something on the menu for that group before, you know, that always gets dark for me. I I have a, this is going to sound terrible. Well, no, it's not. I have a genuine issue when you involve violence with children in books. I've always just kind of thought that should be something that is like, shouldn't be played with a whole lot. You know, I don't know why. 
maybe it's events of the rest couple of years, but I don't, you know what I'm saying? The mm. idea of going to a school and committing wholesale, like that, when I, when I read that, I was kind of like, Ugh. you know, like, yeah, I didn't really like, I, I liked the first part of the scene. I like the kind of fun part with maps and olive and Barbara, right. Mm-hmm. In the library. I like, Oh, that's cool. But the, the threatening of the kids at the end, like, I don't think that organization would hopefully, well, I, mean, I guess they would cause they are, um, yeah. but I just didn't like that part. I don't think that that was necessary. Mm-hmm. Even if you said they were going to take over Gotham Academy or I get the idea of linking the two together, but does that make any sense? Or do you think I'm being a little weird about that? No, I, I think it's a little strange that she's going after kids too. Yeah. I mean, I would just set my sights on back roll. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand like, let's kill all the kids at the academy. Like, why? Like, yeah. What's that? I mean, it's, it seems to be like a forcible crossover or something, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, like, yeah. well, you have to do this. I like seeing the characters interact. I do. I think it's cool when they, all the different universes and books kind of play with each other, you know? Um, but I didn't like that part at the end. I, I just thought that was like, that's that's like the Joker. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we're going to go kill children. I'm like, oh, that's dark, bro. And so, yeah, that's kind of, you know, that's where I was. on. We were kind of in the same place there, I think. Yeah. And then Babs is leaving behind a legacy that clearly can operate without her. And I'm wondering, do you think you would read a book that chronicles life in Burnside without Babs, like a Bluebird spoiler book? Yeah. Hell yeah, I would. Um, I like spoiler a lot mm-hmm. as a character. I would definitely read that book. I think that you could do, I don't know what you, I don't know what you would focus it on, but I think that you could very much do maybe not an ongoing, but like a six issue miniseries. Yeah. Yeah. Where spoiler and bluebird get into, I don't know. I'm not a writer. Do something cool. You know? Yeah. Um, go fight somebody, you know, whatever, do something. Cool. Artemis shows up or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I think it'd be cool. Um, I like those characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I like bluebird. I, I like, I like, I love spoiler. I've always liked Stephanie a spoiler. I think it's kind of one of the, as much as I loved her as Batgirl with, with uh, Brian Miller's run, mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of cool with her being spoiler again in, in the new universe. I didn't like it when she wasn't there at all. Right. You know? So I, I would totally read a book with those two. And I think it could be, if you had the right creative team on it that could have fun with it, I think it could be a really fun book. Mm-hmm. A road trip book. So I don't know. Yeah. And, and they, I mean, it seems like they're setting up, you know. Like some sort of team going on, so I don't know why they would leave it go flat. But I do wonder, you know, what's the continuity of the upcoming Birds of Prey, and if they'll uh, play well, in at all. Were you surprised that? I mean, I'll be when I when we first had the titles before we had any of the information, and it mm-hmm. was Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. Yeah, I would have put twenty dollar bills on the desk and said it's going to be Bluebird and Spoiler and Black Canary and I you thought know, so like, too, and Cassandra Cain. Yeah, it, it cast. I mean, yeah, which. I really liked because, like, long basically that is the bad girls, really. Right. That yeah. Steph, Cass. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of like really like the idea of I'm like this could be like the bad girls book. How cool would that be? And then Black Canary, maybe we jiggery pokery her age a little bit, and she goes back to like the mentor role, and we have the three bad girls working together. I'm like that would be that'd be super cool. And then yeah. it's like oh it's it's Huntress, and not even like the right Huntress, like the one from Spiral. Hmm. You know, yeah, I just I think that would be cool. And you know what? The good news is DC Comics is not shy about changing storylines. So maybe they'll do five or six. Remember, the original Birds of Prey from New 52 was what? Poison Ivy, Katana. Yeah. Black Canary. Mm-hmm. Maybe. And then Batgirl came in later for Birds of Prey, if I remember right. Right. Yep. Um, and then Talon was in there or the chick Talon Strix, who is now in Secret Six, which is a disaster. Maybe they could change it around because I think. 
I don't want Spoiler and Bluebird just to go back to being we see them every uh, year for five panels, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we can avoid that, I'm for that. Two random thoughts uh, as we finish this out. I don't understand why Steph is not wearing a mask or, like, pulling up. You know, the purple over her face is kind of Um, bizarre and easily revealing her identity. And the other thing is just bringing in Vixen. It seems really random. It connects or correlates with what's happening in Black Canary, but which is, I mean, I guess it makes sense since Brenda Fletcher alone is writing this. But it just seemed like if you weren't reading that, you'd be like, why is Vixen popping up? But what is she doing here? I don't know. Do you? Here's a super quick question. Do you think that these appearances that are that are seemingly random are sometimes influenced by what's going on with the shows on television? Vixen was just on Arrow. Oh. Do you uh, think that possibly? Maybe like, hey, she was on Arrow. Put her in a book. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, she is kind of like, even in Black Canary, it's kind of like, oh, Vixen's here. That's different. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, that was I was that was the only thing I could think of why she'd be in the book. Uh, so what would you give this out of 10 bats? Four and an eighth. Four and an eighth, okay. I'm going to give it, yeah, a pretty low score, 6.5 out of 10 bats. Uh, just feels like, it's almost like spring cleaning. Like, let's get rid of all of this stuff. And, and it's not for any benefit. It's it's sort of all negative. And uh, it's said that this is like, this is the story we're leaving with? You kind of want it to go out with a bang. So... Well, yeah, because, I mean, this isn't like the spring cleaning, like, oh, it's spring cleaning and I'm throwing away all this crap that I dislike. This is like spring cleaning and I'm like, well, what are we cleaning? Like, oh, we're throwing away your collection of, of comic books. Like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Like, it's like the spring cleaning where you're getting rid of, like, the stuff you like. So, yeah, yeah I totally agree. Okay, now on to our last book, Gotham Academy Yearbook Part 4. <laughs> Interstitials written by Brendan Fletcher. Interstitials penciled and colored by Adam Archer. And Interstitials inked by Sandra Hope. We start off seeing Pomeline, Olive, and Maps, and Maps is freaking out because her yearbook is gone, and she accuses Pomeline of basically not stopping Robin, and Pomeline is saying, well, what <laughs> what did you really want me to do? And then Maps is saying that we have to get the book back, and one of the particular reasons of why is because there's a story involving Heathcliff and Pomeline where Pomeline actually shows feelings or emotion and this is dangerous because Pomeline will go crazy and so that's where we go for the first story it's called This One's For You written by Brendan Fletcher and art by Annie Wu and colors by Sergei LaPointe and basically it's like a little black canary issue like a mini issue and it involves black canary the band shooting a music video at Gotham Academy, and of course, all of Heathcliff's friends, who Heathcliff, you know, used to go to Gotham Academy, and he's a manager now, they show up to support him, and we find out, actually, that he has dropped out, uh, but he lied about his age and graduating and everything in order to get with the band, so he gets some crucial backstory there, and then Olive prompts him to go off and tells him, you know, you need to go talk to Pomeline because you sort of deserted her and it's a little awkward but then they're able to um, have fun reconnecting over sort of mysteries and things they've done in the past and then he brings her back to the he gives her a mixtape of well it's it's called it's from Lord Byron he gives a mixtape to her and then he actually plays her a song and, and gets up on stage and sings and she freaks out and then runs away and he's wondering what's going on but really actually she's she's smiling and really enjoying that song so then we go back and we see Maps and Olive searching for this. We see Pomeline listening to this tape. Uh, so as they're searching for the the book, she thinks about uh, Serpents and Spells again. And 
then it disconnects to bats. And of course, Olive doesn't like bats. And we get to a story called A Familiar Story that is written and illustrated by Michael Dialanos. And they, it's interesting because Maps is wearing a Batgirl t-shirt. And they are just walking around the halls at night. Of course, mysteries and everything. And we see Tinkle, who, not Tinkle, but Tinkle, who in his large, I guess, um, anthropomorphic form of a cat. And he steals uh, Clarion's first uh, spell book for Clarion. And Map sees it and and wants to get it back because it's just what she needs for her campaign in Serpents and Spells or Serpents and Dragons. So they chase after Tico, but Tico gets away and goes back to Clarion. Clarion's in the sewers, and he's got a comatose Killer Croc with him, so Killer Croc has reappeared. And we find out that Clarion, this first spell book, uh, has some images of him as Robin and Batman, who's like a Jim Gordon Batman because he's smoking a pipe for whatever reason. And then Tico is like Ace the Bat Hound almost. So it's like his fantasy of Batman and Robin. And I guess he needed evidence of your childhood dream in order to put uh, Batman under his spell. So who knows what we'll do there. So then Maps and Olive are continuing their their search and maps comes up with the idea that there must be a secret room like with the gilkey warlocks and this is the final story it's called what became of the gilkey warlocks written and illustrated by david peterson who does all the mouse guard stories so they're a bunch of honor students and they really love uh, serpents and spells but we find out and this is years ago it's in uh 1984, we find out that Serpents and Spells is forbidden, and so Headmaster Hammer is sort of on the lookout for people. These kids find a secret hideaway or a passageway, and they go in there and start playing Secrets and or Serpents and Spells, and as they're playing, this weird shadow monster appears and ends up, we can assume, killing all the, the kids. So Maps and Olive go into the secret room, and Maps is using her detective skills and sees that there was a book there because dust has been moved. And she says Robin has been here. And if you look up, you can actually see Damien hanging from the rafters. So to be concluded in 18. And in this will be Magic Act, Shop Class, and Whatever Happened to Professor Milo. So that was uh, 17 there. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so let's let's start with the song is for you. Okay. So have you been reading Black Canary? Yes, but I'm not caught up currently. I'm a couple months okay. behind. Do you think this was good being able to fill in the gap of how Heathcliff left, why he left, and sort of how he got into the band? Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's fine because I don't think if we get it here, we'd ever get it. I, I think that the Black Canary book, well, Black Canary is going away and becoming part of Birds of Prey. And I don't think we're ever going to see those storylines referenced again. Mm-hmm. So I think if, if you're – and again, it's not meant to be critical, but I just don't think we will. You know? Right. Um, I, I, and I think that if we were going to get the backstory on Heathcliff, this was the only place where we were going to get it. Yeah. So from that point of view, um, I mean it's fine. It's not bad. You know? I mean there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's These stories are very short in these yearbooks. Yep. You know, which is fine. Um, so we're not going to – it's not going to be an, a huge epic story, but it definitely fills a gap in and I think it's fine. Yeah. Do you have you been overall enjoying these uh, this yearbook uh, storyline? I guess we could say. 
Yeah, I, I, I do. Um, I, I do like the, the kind of thread that's running through it. I think that these could have benefited instead of having three of them per issue if we only did two, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, the page count in some of these is, is very small for the stories. Um, I think that the artists are having a lot of fun with it. I like the fact that the um, the interstitials are all the same artists. I don't mind the different artists for the different stories because they're all different self-contained stories. Right, yep. But, but I think in a few of these, um, this one with Heathcliff in particular and a couple of the other ones, I would have liked to see it expand a little bit. And if we could have maybe done just two stories per book as opposed to three, mm-hmm. it may have worked out. But I, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it overall because I think it's cool when they try different stuff on books and doing this kind of short story co- these are kind of in a Gotham Academy short story collection it's different and yeah I've enjoyed it yeah. what about you have you liked the kind of breakup like that I have yeah it's been fun uh, some of the stories I like more than others oh, sure. um, yeah. you know for this one I think my favorite may have been the Clarion and Tickle story uh, mm. because I have such fond memories of of Clarion mainly you know Steph Brown as Batgirl and him popping up in there Yes. And it was interesting, you know, seeing Clarion wanting to be Robin and, of course, Croc popping up because I, I enjoyed when he was in Gotham Academy. And I, I do wonder where he's been and when he's going to return. So, yeah, I like some more than others. I do like how the, the art changes depending on the well, always the story. I think that's the time that art changing works, because other times if it's one story and there are like five different artists is a little weird. Disjointed. Um, yeah, yeah, but th- yeah. this totally works, I think. Did you have a favorite story? Clarion one? Okay. Uh, I like Clarion. A lot of people don't realize this. This is going to be a little over, you know, inside baseball again. You know, a little okay. too much comics knowledge for you. So Clarion was created by Jack Kirby. I don't think a lot of people realize that. A lot of people look at Clarion as some kind of, like, terrible character, right? Like, he's a butt of some jokes in some books. He yeah. even had his own book, which was terrible. But, I mean, this is Jack Kirby, who co-created Fantastic Four, co-created X-Men, co-created the Hulk, came up with the New Gods, wow. Darkseid. Yep. Like, this guy's a major player. This is one of his original characters. I think he's underutilized. I think in a world where it seems like every time we try to tell a magic story in the Batman universe, or in the DC universe, for that matter, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to, like, fire on all cylinders, right? Yeah. I think he's a character that could add, if done right, could add a little humor and, and is interesting enough that could prove to be a fun foil for people like Gotham Academy and Damien and, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think he's kind of underutilized, to be honest with you. So it was nice to see him here. Absolutely. I, I think Maps, you know, she may be spastic, but I don't think it should ever be said that she's not smarter or a good detective because clearly, you know, she knows and she knows things and she notices things, which I think is great. Oh, well, I think that Matt, I think that uh, the, they did a good job of rounding out these characters from Gotham Academy. Right, yeah. Um, these guys, these characters, all of them, uh, Palm, all of Maps, they could have all become caricatures really super easily. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, there's the smart kid and the dumb kid and the unemotional kid. And, you know what I'm saying? Like, yep. they could have really become, like, cheap, teen, preteen character. I mean, they, but what they did was they actually really have done a great job in this book rounding them out and making them feel like like real characters. So mm-hmm. they're to be commended on that because it could have went – I mean you know what I'm talking about. It could have went the other way. Oh, absolutely. Like, yep. Really easily. So I am very happy with the way that they've done the character in these books. Do you think Maps could be a Robin? Could Maps be a Robin? I think that she would have to go through some type of terrible tragedy oh, to kind of – to kind of well, because what's what's the thing about the Robins? They've all got that yeah. bond with Batman of tragedy, mm-hmm. right? 
I think she she could be be one. even spoiler who is the most. I mean, I know she was Robin for twelve seconds, but she's part of that Robin verse for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even she went through that tragedy, you know, bad things that happened in her life to her. I, I don't think that Ma- I I think Maps has the capability of being a Robin, but unfortunately, what we'd have to put the character through, I'd rather we didn't, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. But I think she could take a bigger role in the universe. I think that. If you know the ages could be made to work out, it'd be interesting to see her and Damien working together on stuff. Yeah, very true. Um, yeah, so I, I think she has she has a place, um, but but maybe not as a Robin, especially since it looks like we've got uh, yet another Robin Robin coming on deck already. And do Ugh, yeah, I think if we did a Tim Sale Jeff Loeb story, you know, oh, in yeah. the future that uh, Maps is Robin and all of his like the super villain that goes against her. I, I think it's yeah. a good idea. We should call him. And tell and, them to write and, this. and say, "Hey, we we kind of got it figured out. So yeah. <laughs> if you two wouldn't mind coming out of retirement uh, and yeah, doing this. We won't we'll just if you give us like just half the profit, we'd be totally cool with it. You know, sounds good. Yeah. So I'll I'll, I'll give him a call after the show. There we go. So out of ten diplomas, what would you give Gotham Academy number seventeen? Um. Seven and three quarter. I mean, it's enjoyable. Seven and three quarters. Okay. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm going to give it seven out of ten. I think, you know, the stories are actually getting a little weaker as we go on. This is part four. So since the next one's the last one, I'm hoping that these stories are great. But there's usually, like, one story that I think is, is really great, and then the other ones are like, eh, you know. Really, the first couple issues are the only ones with overall well-balanced um, stories, in my opinion, anyways. I think you're right, but what I think that I like about this book, what I've always kind of liked about this book, is after like a lot of the heavy lifting of the other titles that we read for TVU and other stuff I'm mm-hmm. sure we read, yep. right? After kind of like the heavy lifting of some of the stuff, and I read some independent stuff like Wicked and Divine and Saga, and you know mm-hmm. that is like it's great, but it's like whoa, it's pretty emotional, you know. Like yeah, yeah. Some sometimes this book gets a huge pass for me because I'm reading it for a different reason. Mm-hmm. Like oh, this is the light and fun book, and if it doesn't make sense, that's cool because that's not why I'm reading, you know. Like right. Um, so it gets a pass for me a lot of times, but uh, yeah, I think it's been getting a little weaker, but I still think it's. Um, it's light and enjoyable. And it's right, light. absolutely. Yep. Black Canary 10 and 11 recently came out, and 9 was a one-shot, if you listeners remember. And 10 and 11, we get back to, to sort of the main story at hand, where Black Canary is trying to figure out the mystery of uh, her mother and what happened to her, and her aunt is around as well, but her aunt is not really who she seems to be. Have you read 10 and 11? Uh, I have read 10, but not 11. Okay. If you were to rate 10, 10 out of 10 rock stores, what, what do you think you would give it? Uh, 5 and 2 sixteenths. Wow, 5 and 2 sixteenths. Hmm. I would give it, I'm going to say a 7. Oh, you liked it a lot more than me then. Oh, well, yeah. I think I don't think it'll surpass. I really liked number nine. I thought that was fun. But now that we're getting back to the story, I think that's good. But 11, I will, I'll will i take it down a little bit and give it a six. Um, as with a lot of these Black Canary stories, it got a little weird. So. It did, it did, didn't it? Like, yeah. when, when Black Canary number one came out, yeah. I remember reading, I'm like, this is cool. Yeah. You know? And then two came out, and I'm like, this is good. And then, like, somewhere between three and, like, six, it was like, what happened? Like, yeah. so yeah, um, which, <laughs> I mean, it did get weird. It got yeah. super weird. Um, it came out in trade not too long ago. And I remember I had sat down and reread the whole like first arc. Yep. And I'm like, you know how sometimes you go, well, maybe I was, you know, yeah. I was, and I read it and I, I swear I found the same trap again. 
Uh-oh. I was like, hey, this starts off really, really good. Yeah. You know? And then, like, at the end, I'm like, you're stupid. Like, trust yourself. <laughs> Your memory's not that bad. You don't forget what happened six months ago, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yep, I get you on that one. Okay. And now over to Chris for his Batman 66 review. Ah, that's like a roll with butter. Thank you very much, Stella. Hello, Bat fans. Welcome once again to the Batman 66 review segment. Thank you for downloading. And as always, thank you for not fast forwarding. I'm Chris, and I'm very glad to be with you today as I'll examine Batman 66 meets The Man from Uncle number 5, featuring our favorite Dark Knight damsel, Batgirl. Issue number 5 was cover dated June 2016. The cover art was provided once again by Michael and Laura Allred, and the contents were originally released in download format. Our story is The Batman Affair, Chapter 9, The Incredible Hugo Strange. I thought this story had been called the Bruce Wayne Affair up to this point, and we should be at Chapter 5 in print format. This was written by Jeff Parker, and pencils by David Hahn, and inks by Carl Kessel. When we last left our heroes, they were in a large undersea base, and Dr. Hugo revealed himself to be the mastermind working for Thrush, to the chagrin of our heroes, and to the assembled villains working for him. We learned from the men from UNCLE that Dr. Hugo was Dr. Hugo Strange, a psychologist from Switzerland who was exiled for manipulating his patients and with Rush helping falsify his records, getting the job of director at the Arkham Institute. Hmm, I wonder how the screening process works over there. Hugo transports our heroes to another part of the base, a massive greenhouse with pear trees and various plants, while proposing an alliance and speaking of his plans for domination, rebuilding society through psychology, as he foresees the planet heading to the brink of World War III. Hugo can use our heroes to manipulate Uncle and to the public to achieve his goals. Batman and Robin think that while working together and that the ultimate goal may be noble, the way to accomplish this employs deceitful means and actions, and it's implied none of our heroes are going to go along with his plan. Hugo then explains that he had the Sandman and Poison Ivy combine their expertise to create plant hybrids, ones that coincidentally surround our heroes, while at this moment emit a hiss and a powerful sleeping narcotic to our bat trio and the men from UNCLE. Our heroes are then carried to a lab, placed on individual beds, and in their suggestible state are subjected to Dr. Hugo's indoctrinate programming. Hugo speaks to each of the Bat Group individually, probing their minds and analyzing them. Hugo then speaks to the men from UNCLE, collectively telling him that they've been controlled. The first brainwashing session ends, and our heroes have yet to be swayed by Hugo, but Hugo says that they should be by the 20th session. Guards then take our heroes to their quarters. While en route on a tram, the men from UNCLE distract and take out the armed guards. Our heroes speed off on the tram, but they are suddenly knocked off course, and each of them are seized by a tentacle of a giant purple octopus. Yes, that's right, a giant purple octopus. To be continued. There was a TV spinoff from The Man from UNCLE. The Girl from UNCLE ran for just one season, but for 29 episodes. The main character, April Dancer, was paired with fellow agent Mark Slate. The characters were originally introduced on an episode of The Man from U.N.C.L.E. and portrayed by Marianne Mobley, 
who herself was considered for the Batgirl role, and Norman Fell, likely best known as Mr. Roper on the sitcom Three's Company. However, once the series began, it was Stephanie Powers who would portray April Dancer, who would later co-star with Robert Wagner on the TV series Heart to Heart, and British actor-singer Noel Harrison, son of Rex Harrison, who would play Mark Slate. Gold Key, who published many comic books based on TV series, like Star Trek and I Spy, would also publish comic books based on both Uncle TV series, which had photo covers. The Uncle Craze crossed over into Archie comics as well. The Life with Archie title spoofed the show in the mid-1960s, with stories from issues numbers 49 to 63. The Man from Riverdale stories reimagined the Archie gang as spies, working for Pop, P.O.P., Protect Our Planet, taking on themed villains who worked for the organization called Crush. Another fictional character getting into the spy spoof act was Fred Flintstone. After the Flintstones finished their initial TV run, a feature-length film called The Man from Flintstone was released in 1966. In the next review segment, I'll conclude with a look at the recent Man from U.N.C.L.E. feature film. As for the penultimate issue itself, I thought there was a lot to like here. The All Reds cover had all of our characters underwater, and Batman reaching for a can of bat shark repellent, which was a nice nod to the 1966 movie. There was a panel where Robin uttered the cliché, You'll never get away with this, Hugo! which was appropriately met with a dismissive sigh by Hugo. When Hugo speaks of the world turmoil, there are images of Castro and who I presume is LBJ in the background. During the trivia brainwashing sequence, Batman is asked his real name, and he answers Matches Malone. There is a clever bit of word association where Batman gives the names of villains to the particular words posed to him. We're treated to the appearances of the familiar TV rogues gallery and some nods to the Batman and Robin origins. The spin on the usual take-over-the-world spiel by Hugo was just different enough for me. The artwork by Han was great, especially excelling in the psychedelic scenes. Over on the TV website, Jerry Green gave this 3 out of 4. I'll go a little higher and give this 8.5 out of 10 bats. Before I go, I hope that the listeners out there who are fortunate enough to live close to a comic book store were able to partake in this past free comic book day event this past first Saturday in May, which for me signals the onset of summer. Whatever part of the world you live in or the climate, I hope this podcast finds you well and brings you a sense of new things to do and activities to partake in. Listeners, please feel free to leave any comments for myself or for the podcast on the TBU website and please leave us a good review over on iTunes. If you wish to contact me directly, I can be reached by email at bruce.wayne at gothamcity.us. bruce.wayne at gothamcity, spelled as one word, dot us. Thank you for your support. How can our heroes possibly escape the clutches of a giant purple octopus? Will Hugo Strange succeed in his plans for world domination? Is Batgirl doomed and set for a watery grave, or to be squeezed to death? The answers to these odd, obscene, ominous, oceanic, offshore, objectionable offenses to be answered next time. Same Stella feed, same Stella sight. Thanks, Chris.
So now we have reached the near end of the episode, and that's literature recommendation. Do you have some literature, a book, maybe a comic that you would like to recommend? Yeah, I do. It came out a couple years ago, but I just recently finished. I actually had got it from Christmas for my wife. I am a big Thomas Jefferson person. Ooh, okay. Uh, Big time, big time. Um, I live in his city. I know you do, which makes me like even more. Um, the like the collage on on my wall is pictures of me at Monticello. And, oh wow! Uh, Jefferson quotes and stuff like that. Okay. So big Jefferson guy. So I just got done finishing reading The Art of Power. Okay. Uh, which is a Thomas Jefferson book. It's extremely well done. It's not the um, super dry type of of book. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking about something for him, um, if you've ever want to explore the character who is a very interesting man, who is it just well. You, he was a guy who was anti-slavery but owned slaves, and, and he, right. he was a very conf- conflicted person who mm-hmm. um, was a truly interesting person. I, I, you may not agree with everything he ever did or stood for, but much more interesting person in history. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a really good book if you'd ever like to see a study of his character. So, yeah, that would be mine. Um, and then in comics, uh, I'm going to recommend something older. I also just recently reread The Planetary from start to finish in the, in the Omnibus. Um, if anybody out there has never read Planetary, you should – it's like the long Halloween. You should go read Planetary. Uh, wrote by Warren Ellis. Anybody that hasn't read it, it's essentially the idea of these arche- archaeologists who study the secret history of the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's super interesting. And the whole idea of the book is they're not trying to solve the mysteries. They're just trying to make sure the world stays strange and crazy. Oh, you know? okay. Uh, and it actually, it is, like I said, Whoopi Warren Ellis. It was published by DC Comics in the late 80s, early 90s, and does feature a surprise Batman cameo who actually shows up for several pages. So if anyone hasn't read Planetary, you should absolutely go check that out. How many issues? Um, total issues, the Omnibus, I think, is 27 issues. Is that is that the whole series? That's the whole series. It's a okay. start-to-finish series. Um, there is two specials in the collected editions too. One of them is uh, the Absolute Planetary Batman, and then there's an Absolute Planetary JSA story that's in there. Okay. Um, but it is an amazing. If you haven't read it, you would really like it. It is smart and fun, and there is a very small overarching theme. But it's basically 27 one-off stories about crazy historical stuff. Okay. Uh, and it's super cool. Yeah. Sounds good. I recently got Batman Volume One of the Elseworlds story, but I haven't, and they're all Elseworlds I've never read. But I can't recommend that yet because I haven't read it. But they just recently put that out on trade. But I'm going to re- solicit or recommend two books, and they're both um, sort of post-apocalyptic books. I guess not sort of. They are. They're post-apocalyptic books. So the first one is called World War Z. In Oral History of the Zombie War by Max Brooks. And forget what you had seen with uh, Brad Pitt on the, the film. It's completely different. So I would recommend reading the, the book unless you liked the movie, which I thought the movie was okay, but they're completely different. So this is what Amazon.com had to say. The zombie war came unthinkably close to eradicating humanity. Max Brooks, driven by the urgency of preserving the acid-etched first-hand experiences of the survivors from those apocalyptic years, traveled across the United States of America and throughout the world from decimated cities that once teemed with upwards of 30 million souls to the most remote and inhospitable areas of the planet. He recorded the testimony of men, women, and sometimes children who came face-to-face with the living, or at least the undead, hell of that dreadful time. 
World War Z is the result. Never before have we had access to a document that so powerfully conveys the depth of fear and horror and also the ineradicable spirit of resistance that gripped human society throughout the plague years. Raging from the now infamous village of New Dashang in the United Federation of China, where the epidemiological trail began with the 12-year-old patient zero, to the unnamed forest where untold numbers sought a terrible and temporary refuge in the cold, to the United States of Southern Africa, where the Redeker plan provided hope for humanity at an unspeakable price, to the west of the Rockies redoubt where the North American tide finally started to turn, this invaluable chronicle reflects the full scope and duration of the zombie war so it's actually like first-hand accounts and interviews so you know max brooks is sort of putting on the guise of this interviewer um that's going back so it's after the war has happened so he's going back and and interviewing people and and getting their memories and everything in their first-hand accounts and it's it's super interesting and it does range from everywhere and you get so many different perspectives so i i really uh recommend that and and i got it i will say just so he doesn't get upset at me that tom penneries was the one um who recommended that to me have you read that i haven't i've seen the movie i've heard great things my question was is it told is the book told like a fictional book or is it told like a journal entry type book like a dracula or something like that it's oh it's like a journal entry okay so it's like almost like okay so it's it's the book is portraying itself as a, a historical book right Oh, that's cool. Yep. Yeah, so like a journalist that's interviewing people, basically. And my other one and final one is called Annihilation, and it is book one of the Southern Reach trilogy by Jeff Vandermeer, and I've only read book one right now. And the reason why I was reading this is there's going to be a movie soon, and the movie seemed interesting because it's all females. Uh, so I thought, oh, this is interesting. So here we go. This is also from Amazon. Area X has been cut off from the rest of the continent for decades. Nature has reclaimed the last vestiges of human civilization. The first expedition returned with reports of a pristine Edenic or Edenic. I'm not mm-hmm. Edenic. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Let's go with Edenic. (laughs) Edenic, meaning Eden, landscape. The second expedition ended in mass suicide. The third expedition in a hail of gunfire as its members turned on one another. The members of the 11th expedition returned as shadows of their former selves, and within weeks all had died of cancer. In Annihilation, the first volume of Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy, we join the 12th expedition. This group is made up of four women, an anthropologist, a surveyor, a psychologist, the de facto leader, and our narrator, a biologist. Their mission is to map the terrain, record all observations of their surroundings and of one another, and above all, avoid being contaminated by Area X itself. They arrive expecting the unexpected, and Area X delivers. They discover a massive topographic anomaly and life forms that surpass understanding. But it's the surprise that came across the border with them and the secrets the expedition members are keeping from one another that changes everything. So it, it was it was very interesting. Um, it's mysterious, but it's also like very suspenseful. Uh, it was a quick read. I, it's about 200 pages, and it's it's really engaging. And it's interesting because none of the, the team members have names. They're just called, you know, anthropologists, biologists, because um, they're also supposed to be keeping data or journal entries, and they've been told to keep it impersonal. But I'm looking forward to see, like, what books two and three do. But for right now, I think this is great, and I'm interested to see what the uh, movie's going to be like. Uh, Natalie Portman plays the, the lead, uh, the biologist, so... Um, yeah, I'm interested in seeing what that what that is uh, like, so I recommend that as well. Sounds interesting. Yep. Well, before we go, 
you said you are Team Donovan Morgan Grant. Yes. And, you know, as your final comment, why do you think people should be on Team Donovan Morgan Grant? Um, and why, you know, should they not be on Team Shag? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. Okay. Um, I, I think the most important reason is that Donovan's been around longer, and we need to remember the people that were here first. Okay. You know, Shag's kind of a, a newcomer. Okay. Plus and Shag's, you're talking about to the to the world of BTO. But that's all that matters. Okay. That's, there's, there's no other – it doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. <laughs> okay. This is the only context in which this can make any sense at all. Okay. Um, plus Shag likes Firestorm. Uh-huh. Who likes Firestorm that much? Like nobody likes Firestorm that much. The guy that made the direct that made Firestorm doesn't like Firestorm that much. Wow. Okay. He's probably like the twelfth favorite character he ever created. Oh my. You know. Yeah. So nobody likes Firestorm that much. And then Aquaman. I mean, come on. I mean, Donovan's a Batman guy, winner, right? Okay. Um. So I just got to side with the other Batman guy, and so that, that's it. <laughs> okay. Firestorm. Come on, Firestorm. Well, you guys let me know. You can send any questions or comments or uh, just cast your vote for Team Shag, Team Donovan uh, to BackworldOracle at gmail.com. You can like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at BackworldOracle and follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. Please support TBU and, of course, BackworldOracle by going on the BatmanUniverse.net and clicking on the Support TBU link. And once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backroll the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And it was such a pleasure. We got Thank to you. Think, like all around on all sorts of things. And it was just fun being able to have you on there. And I feel like we've got some good chemistry because we we agree on several topics. We, we have a lot more in common than I think we, we knew about. Yeah. Um, we both watched the Clone Wars recently. We both play the yeah. same video games. Mm-hmm. Um, we both think that sometimes recording with Dustin so- – I'm sorry. Um <laughs> Never mind. I didn't say that. Scratch that part. You're fired. 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 No, and 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 I know that in your heart you're actually a Team Donovan person, so I I think we have a lot in common. Okay. There you go. Well, do you want to sign us off? Mm, no. It's your show. I would feel wrong. <laughs> okay. You do it. <laughs> okay. Well, until next time, fly on, Dad's lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?